Could not be more pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen podcast, Matt Damon. Are you one of those Patriot fans that takes flea in the Jets and the butt fumbling? I made the Liberace movie this year, so that's fine. (laughs) There's some butt fumbling in that movie, too. Just a wee little bit. (laughs) Larry David, good to see you, sir. I think a lot of writers can be offensive coordinators. What's harder? If I could write stories, why would I be able to draw up a play? He is none other than Broadway, Joe Namath. If Mark were to get the nod, and if he played decently, if, uh, if, what a big word, there's only two letters, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Cannavale. I told you my Derek Jeter story. I had Yankees, Atlanta, for the World Series, screaming, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. He doesn't even look at me. Finally, last that bat, eighth <laughs> inning, yeah. Jeter comes up, Derek, just turn around, man, just turn around. <laughs> Finally, he like dumb. He does the thing with the weight. He's about to go up. He turns around. He looks at me. He goes, "Bro, I hear you." <laughs> Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Hey, everybody! It's week number twelve in the National Football League, and I'm going to just come out and say as we're starting this edition of the Rich Eisen podcast, hurtling towards Thanksgiving weekend, that this podcast is, is going to go on. We're going to go on today. There's so much to talk about in week number 11. We could fill up two shows worth of material based off of what happened in week number 11, and that's not including the guests that we have on this show. <laughs> Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, is a guest on this show. The 6-4 and four Arizona Cardinals, who are taking on the Indianapolis Colts that kicked off week number 11 with yet another come-from-behind victory, beating the Tennessee Titans to improve to 7-3. and three. Now good enough to be number two in the AFC based on New England's Monday night loss that ended week number 11 that could fill up an entire two shows worth of podcasts alone. Bruce Arians taking on that Indianapolis Colts team that he led to the playoffs essentially last year. Chuck Pagano did come back in time to coach the playoff game, but the way Bruce Arians conducted himself as the offensive coordinator and interim head coach of the Colts last year Got him this job in Arizona. We'll talk with Bruce Arians on this show. Vince Vaughn, his new movie, Delivery Man, coming out on November 22nd. A big Chicago Bears fan. The Bears, who beat the Baltimore Ravens in a sort of tornado-delayed game for two hours. The Bears are now 6-4, and four, just like Arizona in the NFC. Just like San Francisco, which lost in New Orleans with another controversial call that was made. San Francisco is six and four behind seven and three Carolina, which improved to seven and three, not just because of obviously the way the game ended on Monday Night Football, but with the superlative way that Cam Newton played in that game. Vince Vaughn will join this show talking about his beloved Bears and all sorts of NFL. That this week includes, just like the rest of this country, a moment to pause and remember the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And all throughout the sports world, the discussion is of Pete Rozelle's decision that weekend 
in November 1963 to play games, two days after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. We'll talk about that decision now with a man who wasn't there at the time. He just joined the NFL two years later and has been there ever since. Currently a special advisor to Roger Goodell, a longtime right-hand man to Paul Tagliabue, and before him, Pete Rozelle, the same Alvin Pete Rozelle in question. Joe Brown will join us from the NFL offices. And that's all outside of what we're going to talk about week number 11. Chris Law, good to see you, sir. Rich, always a pleasure. Good to see you as well. Good to see you, Chris Brockman. You know, Rich, sorry for being late. I was being held up in traffic oh, by Luke Keekley. Oh, boy. It's my bad. Oh. You are a bitter Patriot fan. Now, let's get into this. Let's get into this. The caveat I'm going to have on this, as well as the Ahmad Brooks non-sack forced fumble in New Orleans that had that play stood might have changed the tenor of the game. I think it would have. Probably. Because New New Orleans got the ball back and wound up tying the game, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to San Francisco getting the ball back up three late in the game. That call, as well as the one that you so artfully referenced, (laughs) the end of the game on Monday Night Football with Luke Keekley bear-hugging, bear-hugging Rob Gronkowski at the back of the end zone. And having that called, but the flag picked up because the pass was deemed uncatchable after well, a conference Did we ever actually officials. get an explanation from the officials? Well, that's obviously part of this. But prefacing all of those, prefacing those two calls, and any other call that you think that has gone against your team, not only in week 11, but every single week before that, and every single week that happens from here on till the end of football time. And of course, there will be many. The caveat that I have for this, Rod Woodson the great pro football Hall of Famer, who I believe, if I had to count out the number of total accesses that I did in the eight first eight years that I did them for NFL Network, if I had to track them and count the, the number of shows that I did with each analyst, I probably did the most NFL total accesses with Rod Woodson than any other analyst. Mm-hmm. So I've heard so much from him and soaked in so much football knowledge from him and listened to every story that he was willing to tell. He's the man of few words, Roderick. So Not a lot of hyperbole either. He speaks... Oh, he's the man. Yeah. I mean, he had, there's no airs about Rod Woodson. Yep. He said that Chuck Knoll, his first head coach in the National Football League, would always tell the players before a game, play better than the ref's ref. Of course. Now, I'm sure Pop Warner coaches might say it. You might hear it at every level. The bottom line is bad referee calls only cost you because the game is close enough for it to cost you. That, no, no question. That things happen in a game leading up to calls that go against you or wrongfully are made against you. Things always happen before and after that make that stick out. Now, when it's the last call of a game and the call is made and then taken back, <laughs> like backsies, right? Backsies. Back in the day. <laughs> right. That's when it stings the most. And you could sit here and say, we played well enough to have won that game. Well, the bane of my fantasy existence, Stephen Ridley, 
with another costly fumble inside the. And five, there are many help. ways that the Patriots just you know uh, kicking, settling for a field goal right. that they almost didn't get because of the hold on Gostowski. Gostowski nearly kicked the uh, was that Allen the, uh, the, the, the the punter, punter. nearly kicked his hand off. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and you could sit there instead of going for the touchdown, and then how do you how do you not stop Ted Ginn? Right, from getting in the end zone. Poor tackling. You had six shots at stopping Cam Newton on that 14-yard run that ESPN's uh, that was, technology that track ridiculous. that he actually ran 75 total yards on the play that around was, and that back. That was crazy. Reminded me of that threw. McNabb kind of play against Dallas. A few or the years Gio ago. Bernard one on Thursday yeah. night a couple weeks ago. Sure, but just there are many moments in that game where the Patriots made too many mistakes to be in the position of needing a touchdown from the opponent's 18-yard line with no time left. Not disagreeing with you at all. Leaving you open to a horrible call. I think it's a horrible call. There are many uh, blogs that have, uh, that have been posted online. I retweeted one of them, I think from SB Nation, that has broken down exactly why it is not defensive holding. It can't be called illegal contact. The only call that can be made based on the rule book is pass interference. Isn't there something about the ball being in the air and that the ball being holding? In, correct. Right, right. And also illegal contact if the ball is in the air and heading towards the way of the foul. Right. Only pass interference can be called. And the referees determined that the ball was uncatchable. Now, in my mind, it was catchable by um, a Carolina Panther. It was and, – and, and Gronkowski – Who's to say Gronkowski couldn't have came back to the ball? I've seen Rob Gr- – listen, right. Rob Gronkowski was sober, we're assuming, in this game. We have seen Rob Gronkowski pull moves on the internet that is superhuman. <laughs> exactly. So you can't sit here and say that he couldn't right. get through Luke Kinkley I mean, to get that ball. He's arguably the best position player in the league. It's a bad call, but there's no way in hell he's catching that ball, no matter what. I don't know about that. Oh, no come on. Dude, for Jerry Austin, who is the referee, who, who's ES. ESPN's Mike yeah. Pereira, for him to say on the spot, I mean, I mean, Gruden's <laughs> re- Gruden reaction just... was great. The reason why he couldn't catch it is because there's a guy hugging him. So he almost leapt over three guys to catch the hail mary in the Super Bowl, and he he couldn't maybe have gotten to that ball. To me, to me, here's here's my analogy, and I and I, chance, and, and I and I and I apologize in advance for its um, off color nature. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, I don't think you don't have to take down a time code. No time codes. Okay, you missed, I, I one, missed last one last week. week yes, you did. I got a couple. You missed an S bomb last. <laughs> week. I got a couple. Uh, it was muddled, I think. And yeah. no, it wasn't muddled. <laughs> you missed one last week. Yeah. Five hole. But uncatchable to me is like porn. You know it when you see it. <laughs> To me, uncatchable has to be so clearly beyond the pale. You know it. You know when something's uncatchable. You see when it sails 10 yards above somebody's head, out of bounds, five yards after the contact takes place or even before it. You could see it and go, you know what? You're at home. Usually, uncatchable is not, shouldn't be that debatable. Uncatchable is not an underthrown pass by about four yards in the end zone with no time left. <laughs> Especially when you've made the call already. Yeah. Who's talking the back judge out of that? And you're, to your point, 
to your point, Chris Brockman, the fact that the ruling was made on the field, picked up, and then the referee says essentially. Game over. Game over. There's no foul on the play. Right. Mike Pereira said uh, many, you know, on radio shows on Tuesday, you got to say it was deemed uncatchable. Of course Tom Brady should be going after the referee sure. and screaming and yelling. You didn't tell anything. Right. You didn't say anything. They doubled down, though, too, the refs, and they backed the, they backed the call. Well, they did after the game after to the Mike game. Reese of ESPN, longtime Boston Globe reporter, yep. where he was the pool reporter that got to speak. And Cleet Blakeman, the referee, said, yeah, in review, I think we got it right. I think. <laughs> A lot of a lot of inessences. Yes, there's a in, lot of inessences. He's uh, got to say, and I'm sure the league's calling him up. I mean, Ed Hockley's sitting at home. I mean, he would have given a sonnet. <laughs> we, we'd still be going. A quatrain. I think my extended time on the DVR would have ran out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which apparently it did to uh, Carson, Carson Palmer, Palmer, who's on our buddy Dan Patrick's show. Ah. He forgot to add the 30 minutes, and it cut off before the last play. Oh, He said it cut off with 10 that, seconds to go. It's a rookie mistake. <laughs> it is. Well, Law and I were playing basketball, and I told yeah. him, don't don't tell me what happens. I got it on TV. I went over to my home. phone at one point. And it was blow- you were we were blowing, blowing up. up on text. Well, and I'm I said, like, I, I must have missed something. Well, what I said because Mark Brady of of NFL Media yeah. NFL.com fame here in the building says, you know, you've got to you've got to deconstruct the Belichick press conference on your podcast. Which and guess what? It's gold. We're doing it. We're doing it. Now, the last time we did this with the Belichick press conference was when Tim Tebow was brought on into the Patriots' fold in training camp. That's right. And we, we, we deconstructed the Belichick press conference where we knew he was going to use a hockey term, stick aside most every one of the Tebow pucks that was sent his way. And we point out how, with Bill Belichick, you must come prepared to his press conference with direct questions. Specific. You it is must, your, your job. You Well... It's not easy. Let's put it that way, Chris. All right, until you've been in the shoes. I cover Pelska. I cover Jopa. I mean, that's that's a pretty intimidating figure to be asking questions to. He was like an 80-year-old man. 79. <laughs> Let's just put it this way, Chris, and we'll foreshadow for our conversation later on. Being in a Bill Belichick press conference, it's, it's sort of like cold water splashing you in the face in the shower. I'm just going to stay quiet there. <laughs> we'll get to that one later. Okay. All right. Fair enough. You need to come prepared. You cannot ask yes or no questions. You cannot give him any opening to avoid answering the question. You must ask direct questions. It would be helpful for him to know who you are and respect your knowledge coming in. These are the ground rules for a normal Belichick press conference. When he loses in the manner in which he loses... It's a different story. Now, I have been told by Boston reporters who I know that he's been especially open this year. He's been a little bit more expansive, a little waxing a little bit more philosophical, rhapsodic. Um, kind of sometimes, sometimes he's he's nostalgic, and he's been a little bit more open about stuff this year. That said, here's the way the press conference began moments after the Monday night loss. In Carolina, tough game. Came down to a few plays here, and um, you know they made a couple more than we did. So, uh, you know we had our chances. We just got to do a better job. Came up a little bit short today, but uh, just have to go back to work and, and do a little bit better job. 
saw the same thing you saw. Stop it right there. What did you take from that final play? <laughs> now. I mean, it's an open-ended question. That's the problem. What's the, that's the problem. You can go, what did you see on the final play? Open yourself up to, well, I couldn't see from where I was. Right. You're hoping he'll start it. He'll start going on and on and rambling on about maybe getting to. I didn't see a foul. I didn't see a penalty. He's not going to do that. Mm-mm. He knows better than that. What did you take? And his answer is, I saw the same thing you did. I saw the same thing. That's genius, man. <laughs> now come the long, awkward. These, these, you can't even call these pauses pregnant. No. And if you call these pauses pregnant, there's like quintuplets in there. This is a min- that's how that's how that's how pregnant these pauses are. This is it's min- like the octo mom of pregnant pauses. <laughs> it was like a whale. It was like two years pregnancy or something. Here we go. This is a mini pause compared to what's coming. Okay, here we go. So and you and you have you have. I have some times of some pauses. Okay, very good. This go is ahead. about a twelve second one. Here. Okay, go for it. This is me just continuing on. The same thing you saw. I guess the screaming fans in the wind also makes it sound even more silent in the background. In three, Hold two. What's that? We just no, we just didn't make enough plays. They made a couple more than we did. I mean, play came down to you know, game came down to right to the wire on both ends of the field, and we just couldn't make enough plays. Pause it, pause it, pause it. Did you get too far behind? Was, <laughs> too was far question, behind? Was the question that was asked. And let's just review the box score <laughs> of this game. It was 10 nothing, right? It was 10 nothing. Biggest deficit. 10 nothing. And they made it 10-3 at the, at, going into halftime, knowing they got the ball to start the second half. 10 nothing. You got to button this stuff up when you go probably, talk to Bill Belichick. You cannot won, do that. Probably one main sports writer of the year, the guy that asked that question. Go for, and again, I, wow. I, don't know who, <laughs> I don't know who these folks are. And I, I'm sorry if I do know who they are, but <laughs> I'm just calling it as I see it. And you it. have to figure these are guys who have covered Belichick for years, and they're still doing this. I don't this. know. There could be some Carolina reporters. I don't know. There's a, it's, a, it's a national game. It's a Monday night it's game. True. Go for it. Oh my lord! Well, is that a meeting? That's that. Is uh, that a meeting? That might be a meeting. Turn off your alerts. <laughs> Turn off your alerts. And could you imagine if that went off during a Belichick presser? What he would do to you? Can uh, you please turn I'm off your see alerts? Close out a crying out loud altogether here. Yes, I can. Continuing on. About twelve more seconds of silence here. Here we go. This is great. That's what we always try to do. We always try to make the most of every possession. Come on. Oh, yeah. This is awkward. Three more seconds. When it came to Aqib Tlaib covering Steve Smith, did you obviously have to tell Tlaib to settle things down and play football or try to keep him in check or? Pause it. 
pause it, Matt. Pause it. You cannot ask questions to Bill Belichick by saying, did you say this and putting words in his mouth? If you want him to sit there and say that Tlaib was a dumbass for poking the worst rattlesnake you could possibly poke in the National Football League, if that's your intent, I don't know how you do it, but I'll tell you what, you don't do it that way. <laughs> you believe Aqib Tlaib going in Steve Smith's face when it has been established for a decade you don't let that dog bark at you. His own teammates don't do it. He'll Are punch you, you out. Are you kidding me? Could you be more stupid? That's what you want to ask Bill Belichick, right? <laughs> of course. It's not going to work. Would you say, well, if you're going to go up to you go up to Tlaib and say, well, you really can't do that. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Well, By the way. This, I got to hear this answer. I got to hear this answer. Roll it. Roll it. Give me this After answer. the answer is the longest pause ever. Okay, very good. You know, it's two competitive guys. Two good football players. So, this guys both competing. <laughs> Thirty seconds of silence. Is yeah. it really? Thirty. Hold on, let's just take it in. Imagine what this must be like in that room. People are afraid to ask a question. Hold on, they don't know what to do. They're looking around. You Hold do on. it. Are you going to ask? One point. Hold on, Stacy Dale's basically. No, Stacy James, James says, looks and goes. Are you, is, are you are good? Done? He goes. Done? No, I'm fine. Here I'm comes. Good. Coach, when you, when you come in here, you know, obviously you're, you're playing a team that has got something to prove. And then you guys were there the entire game with a pretty good atmosphere. What's the question? So what's the question? Yeah, right. How do you feel about your team's performance overall? Pause it. Uh, we came up short. Yeah. We came up short. But that was you know what we did? You know what we did? We've won 153 games ever since me and Brady got together here. Do you know how many times we play a team that's got something to prove? Rich is now standing. Every time. <laughs> every time we suit up. We're the New England freaking Patriots. Everybody wants to beat us. By the way, that guy's actual question and what he started with, completely different. <laughs> he doesn't know. <laughs> completely different. I don't know what it is. Just Belichick just on. got, he has this, he has this. Still standing. This, this dust, this dust that he sprinkles where people can no longer talk to him or ask him questions. Are you kidding me? When you play a team that's got something to prove, it's every week for them. Every week. Of course. Oh, my gosh. How do you assess that? Go, please. We're only a third of the way through. Roll it. Wasn't good enough. We we came up short. We got to do a better job. Just didn't make enough plays. (laughs) He's not giving you 15 more seconds of silence. That's Stacy. I'm, I'm okay. That's Stacy James checking on him. I'm okay. I'm okay. He's all right. Because you know what? He's got something he wants to say still there. Pause it. That's his way of letting everybody in the room know you haven't asked me the right question yet. Yeah. That's 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 a very good observation. You have not asked me the right question yet. Keep it up. <laughs> Most of you're gonna lose, but keep it up because I've got something I want to say here. Y'all just haven't asked me the right question yet. Somebody's gonna. Somebody's gonna in this press conference. It's coming. It's coming. Roll it. Coach, on the, on the final play, did you get a 
No. There it is. There was no explanation given to me. No. Officials ran off the field and I, I didn't see anything. Been through that before. Last time I tried to ask an official a question about a call, that was, you know, the wrong thing to do. So I have no idea. Money shot right there. <laughs> That's what Bill wanted to say. And I don't know who asked him that question. Did you get any indication what, why they picked up the flag? That's the question. And he wanted essentially to say, without getting fined, I'm the modern-day Lombardi who got dinged up for putting hands on a replacement stooge last year. That's right. Because the replacement ref ran off the field in Baltimore and didn't let me know why that kick was called good when we couldn't tell a single thing of the Adam Carolla rule with the poles not being high enough. That's right. Those guys ran off the field. I tried to get an explanation. Yeah, I put my hand on them, but they weren't giving me an explanation the whole game because they're replacement refs. They're running off the field. And now these are the real refs who pretty much just did the same thing to me. And I want you all to know that. And thank you for somebody asking me the right question. Now Bill's done. Again, I'm just trying to give my opinion, being somebody who for 10 years plus now at this network has sat through dozens of Bill Belichick press conferences. I've sat in on a handful. Trust me, these pauses are beyond awkward. (laughs) They're disconcerting. They're jarring. They they throw everyone off their game. I love it when he calls Albert by his name and he just says Albert. Like, well, he knows Albert. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's my favorite. Who got the soundbite of the night, too. Yes, we'll play did. that in a minute. Go ahead. Let's finish up strong. Okay. Well, you think you an explanation of what it's for? you think somebody should have told you? Great question. Like I said, we've been down that road before. Been down that road before. Didn't get one tonight. Didn't get one at the Baltimore game. Oh, and he even mentioned it. <laughs> Connecting dots for all you people out there. That's the way there. we do it. That's the way we do it. He said his piece now. He could essentially. That should be like a Costanza walk-off. Walk off. Uh, I thought we ran it okay in the first half. thought we had decent production in the first half around the ball, too. Uh I don't know. What, what do we run for in the first half? <laughs> do we have a stat? Dude, who's got a stat? <laughs> Nobody knows. Anybody out there? You have a stat? Seems, seemed like we had, I don't know, 80, 90 yards in the first half. What do we end up running for? 160 or I, I don't know. Actually, it's 107 yards. 47 but. at halftime. 47 yards rushing. We have 47 rushing. And what do we end up with? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I thought we were balanced. You know, we just of course we got sacked out of field goal range, and we fumbled, and you know, we got a personal foul penalty. So those those hurt our three drives in the first half. It's true. Best thing. I saw what you saw, Tom. 
Is that current? Yeah. I, I have, there's no, I can't answer that question. Are you curious as to what the explanation would be, or would you follow that up with the Sure. I'm going to pause this. Last play. Tom Curran just came in, obviously. I, I, he must have done something for his TV, and he came in late. Just shows to show you, if it was any, if it was anybody that, that he was unfamiliar with, I don't think he would have reviewed that again. He would have like, already said, asked it, already answered earlier. it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Tom, you could see, he came in, he asked, he asked, the three he, he he knows what to ask Bill <laughs> Belichick, right? He's done this before. <laughs> what did you hear? What did you see? Are you going to follow up with the league? That's the one that nobody asked before. Boom! You bet he is. He probably had Dean Blandino on speed dial on the bus ride home. Well, somebody else walks in a little later and asks. Well, the go <laughs> and you'll hear. It's not somebody that he knows. Go for it. The game. I, I assume don't know what happened. There was a flag thrown. Then the game was over. Uh, I don't know. <clears throat> nice pause. How long is this one? This one's a good, good while. Shane Marines first came back um, after a long time off. What did he add to the offense? It seems if he got able to. Marine question. It's fair. He was in in some, uh, you know, passing groupings. Uh, Thought he did some good things. Obviously, missed some time, and you know some things he's got to work on. You know, we weren't as consistent as we need to be in the game mm-hmm. overall in any phase. But you know, he definitely. You know, it was good to have him back. Talk about Ridley's absence for part of the middle of the game. <coughs> what about him? Any comment about why you didn't get more carries? Because all three of our backs contributed. <laughs> If you want to hear pause it, if you want to know, did you bench him because he fumbled? Just ask the man the question. <laughs> did you bench Ridley because he fumbled? Are you concerned? That's two games in a row now. Are you concerned about his ball security? What have you told Stephen Ridley about his ball security issues? Did you bench him because he fumbled? Going through the front door with this man. <laughs> Let's finish up. We're going on long enough. I'm sorry I missed this earlier. Did you get an explanation from the oh, official on the last play? Yeah, that's the fourth time on that. <laughs> I that's the fourth time on that. I don't know who you How are. How much of an issue was their speed? Um, I don't know. I mean, every team in the league has fast receivers. <laughs> They have good receivers. Ask Bill Belichick. We're going to see good receivers next week. We saw good receivers last week in Pittsburgh. If the receivers were too fast for you. Good receivers every week. Wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's pretty much it. (laughs) Cut it off. That's that's it. Six and change, right? That's how long the... uh, 720, yeah. 720. 720. And add up the silences about a minute, right? Oh, I would say well over a minute. Well over a minute of the seven-minute press conference. Just nothing. Nothing. There was a 32-second stretch of nothing, (sighs) which is rather incredible. And here's the thing, is that we just spent all of this time on on the end of the game and and New England, and, and Carolina is serious. This is a serious football team, guys. 
You know what? Oh, yeah. We're sitting here. We spent. We've been spending weeks looking forward to this Week 13 New Orleans at Seattle game. We're expecting New Orleans to boat race Atlanta on yep. Thursday night football, right? Are, With all due are. respect, you know. So we're expecting New Orleans to enter that football game nine and two, just a game behind Seattle, and everybody's looking at that game for the top seed in the NFC, and also an indication as to which team is the best team in the NFC. I'm willing to give Carolina its due here because we said a few weeks ago, let's see what they do in San Francisco and then at home against New England before we, we, we issue any judgment. We here. did. We said yep. that exactly. Guess what they did? They beat them both. They beat them both, man. And Cam Newton is a third-down assassin. Only... Breeze and Peyton Manning have a better third down passer rating this year than Cam Newton. And he is he is we we are seeing what Cam Newton looks like with a solid defense, a solid running game, and a more than solid grasp of progressions in his offense, where to go with the football, what the coverage is dictating, and where he should go. And the throws that he is making. That touchdown throw to Greg Olson on the pylon. Okay, the third. I know. I know. We're all we're all talking about that 14 yard run that he did. I'm more impressed with some of these throws that the he's over making. The shoulder to Rocket Steve Smith arm, that man. started the Aqib Talib. He is throwing. He is throwing from opposite hashes to opposite sidelines, and the ball is exploding there. And with Cam playing like this, I know we're all talking about how. Again, it's going to be 10-1 and one versus 9-2 and two on the Week 13 Monday Night Football game. Seattle hosting New Orleans. But at that point in time, you know who should be 8-3 and three right behind New Orleans is Carolina, which takes Miami by storm this weekend. And again, kudos to the Dolphins here for beating San Diego in a game that nobody th- thought they had a chance to win because of all the crap that's going on. No doubt. And they can bask in the glow of their victory by having Ted Wills stroll around their locker room all week. <laughs> and get Cam Newton in their house as well. Ted Wells to Cam Newton. That's what they got this week in Miami. So week 12, you've got to assume Carolina is going to be 8-3. and three. And when New Orleans has that game in its midst on that week 13 Monday night, Carolina will have just finished up a home date with Tampa. So guess who should be 9-3 and three by the time that the Saints take the field? The Carolina Panthers. If the Saints lose that game on Monday Night Football, they're both 9-3 and three going into the Week 14 game. It's of two games to it. In the Superdome, Carolina versus New Orleans. It's time to throw Carolina not only in the NFC South mix, but for the two-seed. Wow. It's for the two seed. Or if you think the Saints are going to beat Seattle, which has to take on San Francisco and San Francisco at some point, Carolina's got a shot at the one seed. Think about it. Think about it. You take a look at Seattle's, at, at, at New Orleans's next five games. Four of them are on the road at Atlanta, at Seattle, home for Carolina, at the Rams. At Carolina. Yeah. That's the next five games for the Saints. 
Do you have Carol? Do you have got Carolina's schedule called up there, Chris Brockman? Yep. Give me Carolina's schedule. All right, Carolina coming up, Rich. As you said, at Miami, home against McLennan and the Bucks, at the Saints, home for the Jets and the Saints, finish up at Atlanta. You're telling me. I mean, you're telling me that they can't win the NFC South. They're seven and three. You're telling me they can't be a two seed. Right? At the very least, you've got to think they have 11 wins right now. 11 and 5. You've got to throw them in that mix. You have to throw them in that mix if they can stay healthy. Charles Johnson got a, an MRI with a, a week-to-week designation, which Came is great. Came back in the game, which was amazing. Correct. And, and was crucial on that final, final drive? push defensively yeah. to set up the pass interference that wasn't called. <laughs> I have no comment. But you have to throw Carolina into the mix for the Super Bowl if they are playing defense like this. And Super, Cam, Super Bowl? You have to. Hey. They won seven straight. That's ridiculous. I know this is hey, – listen. Just because Cam's hey, your MVP pick. Hey. That's looking better with each passing week. You have to throw them into the NFC mix if they are playing defense like this. I understand that they're wrapping people up in the end zone on last plays of the game. But if they can rush the passer, run the football, and Cam Newton has this type of repertoire, we do. We just saw them pass two major auditions. They just beat last year's NFC champion yep, they did. in their house, which I know Indianapolis did, and they just beat New, or- New England, which is, in my mind, still a Super Bowl contending team in the AFC. I'm not going to go knee-jerk week-to-week stuff here on New England. Call up their remaining schedule. New England? Yeah. Okay. I know they've got the big Sunday night game coming up this week against Denver. All right. So the Patriots are 7-3. and three. They're the three seed in the AFC right now. Currently behind the Colts. Right. Right. Because of, because of the – let me get that exact tiebreak. Uh, wins tiebreak over New England based on best win percentage in conference games. Indianapolis is 5-2 and two in conference. New England is 4-2 and two in conference. Got it. So they Which are, makes this game against Denver a monster game Sunday night. So they are home against Denver. They're at Houston, who's lost eight in a row, right? Uh, home against Cleveland, at Miami, at Baltimore, and they finish home against the Buffalo Bills. You're concerned about the Patriots? I'm not. No, because say they lose against Denver this week, they could still win the remaining five games. And Carolina is a really good team, guys. New England is going to have – I think New England could even win out. Possibly. New England wins out. It's 13-3. You give them one loss, even if you think Denver's going into Sunday night. We'll right. talk about that in a minute sure. at the very end of our show. We'll talk about this past Sunday night's game. We'll talk about next Sunday night's game. That's they've, still always to come. Str- they've always struggled at Miami. You say 11 wins at the worst. Come on. They're winning the division. They're winning the division. They're getting a home game. Right. Yeah. And I don't see Indianapolis or Cincinnati in the long run having a better record than New England. I think they're going to get a week off. I even think, think they're they going to they get a week two? off. I do think they finish too. Yes, wow. okay. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> and while we are just on everything before we get to Bruce Arians of the Arizona Cardinals, just as we sit here, uh, Dean Blandino, the NFL's vice president of officiating, is appearing on Tuesday's NFL Total Access. And he is uh, just pre-taped it. We have part of what he said, saying that the side judges was focused on the interception, 
the back judge was focused on Keekley's restriction of Gronkowski. After the play, the back judge signaled to the side judge to get together to discuss when did the restriction occur in relation to the ball being touched. Once the ball is touched, you can't have pass interference. Officials said they occurred simultaneously, and the judgment call was done in full speed. Quote, unquote, I wouldn't say they were wrong. They used proper mechanics. It was a judgment call, and they said it occurred simultaneously. And that the referees will not be downgraded because it was a judgment call. This is not going to affect their postseason assignments. And when we're done with Bruce Arians, we'll talk about the other big hit in San Francisco and what Dean Blandino had to say about that. But if you are downloading this show, tune into NFL Total Access Tuesday night. I'm sure it'll be played on NFL AM all day Wednesday and around the league as such. In the meantime, that San Francisco loss dropped into 6-4. and four. And there are two teams right behind San Francisco at 6-4. and four. Chicago, the eighth seed after their win against the Ravens. And Arizona, the seventh seed, 6-4. and four. Their head coach is on the phone right now. He is the coach of the 6-4 and four Arizona Cardinals. This week at home, taking on a team that he knows quite well because it was his expert steering of the ship as the interim head coach of this team last year that not only led the Colts to the playoffs, but helped him uh, get the gig where he currently is 6-4. and four. Let's be honest. He is Bruce Arians here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. How are you there, Coach? I'm doing great, Rich. How you doing, buddy? I am doing just fine and dandy. Um, before we get into uh, this week's matchup, I'd love to just give you the floor and, and tell us where you think your team is. I know 6-4 and four is a good record, but... Where do you think your team is in terms of its development and where you want it to be? Well, I'm finally starting to get pleased with our offense. Um, defensively and special teams, we've been pretty solid all season. And we, we knew going in we should be. And as our offense learned to grow and, and find itself, we, you know, we hope to, uh, to be a good football team and get a shot at to get to the playoffs. Um, we've kind of earned that right now. Basically, I told our guys we're in the playoffs right now because we lose, we're done. We're, we're tied or right behind three other teams. So it's, it's playoff atmosphere. The guys are, are loving to come to work. And uh, even when I gave them a day off, they still showed up. So that was a great sign. <laughs> where, 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 where are things right now with your offense that, you, that, that it wasn't, I guess, a few well, weeks ago? The biggest ago. thing, uh, two weeks, last three weeks, we ran the ball very well. Now, we didn't run it very well against Jacksonville, but Carson had such a hot hand, it was hard for me to call a run-in play. And, uh, you know, he, he had a great game. I knew he would. He had an unbelievable week of practice. And, and I see the guys nodding to each other now and talking about, yeah, I'm going to throw this ball here. Uh, I'm, you, you take it here. They're understanding why they're doing what they're doing, and it looks like it's starting to click. Now, let's get to this week's opponent. Um, I'd like to play for you a soundbite that I, I, I um, chatted with Coach Pagano last week in, in advance of his win in Tennessee and asked him, I said, you know, because I, I have to give you the caveat of one game at a time. You know, I can't, I can't ask the guy about playing the next week's game. I know you're all coaches in the National Football League. Can't look past one opponent. But I did ask him about what it would be like facing you, and here, here it is. I know you're just taking it one at a time, but while I have you sitting here next week, you're, you're, you're seeing Bruce Arians. You're playing Bruce Arians next week. What do you think that's going to be like for you when you're on the opposite sideline of Bruce Arians? 
probably much like um, it is when I play my brother, you know, because he, he, I consider Bruce a, a brother, you know. Uh, he's a great, great friend. Uh, and what we went through uh, together uh, just a year ago uh, and what he did, uh, you know, in my absence and what he did for the organization um, is, uh, I, I don't know if it'll ever happen again. So, um, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be neat uh, beforehand. You know, there'll be some, you know, shaking of hands and some hugs and, and things like that. But then it's going to be, you know, uh, two teams. It'll be the, uh, the Colts uh, versus the Cards uh, going at it and trying to get, you know, trying to win a football game. So it'll be like going against his brother, Coach. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, uh, there's no doubt, you know, the, the backyards are full of brotherly fights. <laughs> and uh, you go after each other and you hug the heck out of each other's neck and, and you go on home. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be very emotional, probably more pregame. And like Chuck said, when the whistle blows, uh, all bets are off and, and it's, we we got to win a football game. But uh, it, it's going to be very, very hard uh, seeing all those guys, especially those young kids on offense that, uh, that we had so much fun with last year. And obviously there's there's one young kid on offense I want to get to in a moment with uh, Andrew Luck. But Pagano, Coach Pagano, what kicked in within you when you heard that Coach was needed to take a leave of absence uh, from the team and, and the reason why? What, what, I guess, struck a note in you and, and kicked in within you? coach well I, I was devastated because you know i wasn't even in town we were on our open date and it was sunday i was getting ready to get on a plane and come back and um trying to find out as much as i could uh googling what the heck that disease was and just hoping like heck he was going to be all right uh football took a big back seat last year to me it was uh making sure that he was getting better making sure that um that we gave him all the football we could possibly give him because I knew it was the best medicine in the world for him. I don't think without football he'd ever overcome it that fast. Uh, you know, streaming his iPad every day, calling him, telling him how the guys were doing, uh, making sure his message continually got to the players. And um, uh, it was, you know, it was turn the light on and never come off. Who did you reach out to for guidance? Did you reach out to anybody? No, I didn't. I, I basically um, looked within the staff and said, look, guys, you know, this is our job, and, and everybody's got to do theirs a little bit better. Nobody's got to do any more or less, you know. Just do your job and do it a hell of a, do a, hell of a job. And, and we'll, keep, we'll keep the seat warm till he gets back. And let's make sure we win enough games that uh, we can get that done. But, I mean, we, we, we were hearing how, I mean, you didn't occupy Coach Pagano's office, that you did not – that you, you, you made sure to keep the boundaries of, of his office and his role on the team. And, and I, I'm, again, I'm just trying to that's, – that's not something that everybody would do, Coach, you know, and, and it just seems that, that it's unique in, in many, many ways how you handled yourself in the business of the Colts last year. I'm just trying to put my finger on, on how you knew what to do and how it worked out. In, in that well, yeah, they, they, the dang sure didn't have any handbook. You know, uh, it was it was just gut feelings. Um, we had a head coach. I never even liked that title interim. 
uh, I just had a, an expanded leadership role when I threw the red flag and decided whether or not we were going for it on fourth down. And, uh, you know, the rest of it was uh, I didn't I wasn't I'm not a big speaker nice before games and things like that. Uh, so it was it was very easy for me. Uh, I had a decent relationship with the defense and the special teams players, but it grew as the season went on. And, um, you know, everybody just became so accountable to each other because we didn't want to let Chuck down. And you, you clearly didn't, but you also had the immense responsibility, uh, Coach, of having to coach up a first overall draft pick, and not just any first overall draft pick, one who's trying to fill Peyton Manning's shoes in a town where hospitals are named after his predecessor. And um, I'm wondering how you went about the business of, of focusing on that as well. Well, I think when that Monday when all that happened, I told Andrew that there was one thing that you can count on. Our relationship won't change. Um, the amount of time that we put in together and Clyde Christensen did a great job with Andrew, um, wouldn't change a bit. I, I would take extra hours to do whatever head coaching uh, duties I had to assume, um, the little bit of speeches that I might give. Uh, but our, our offense, that was my main job, was to make sure that offense continued to grow. And uh, and he was the easiest one to coach a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chase and Fleener and T.Y. and those guys around was enough. Right. But Andrew was kind of easy. Yeah, I mean, and I asked that of Coach Pagano this week, is do you have to push Andrew? And he sort of looked at me like I had three heads on me, <laughs> you, you know? Yeah, no, that I've never been around one. Um, and I have had the great fortune of being around some great quarterbacks that that – up and down the sideline, we got this. We could be down 20. We got this. Just hanging it. We got this. I swear we're going to win this game. And I, I go back to that Detroit game. We're down 14 points or 13 points with mm-hmm. two minutes and something left, and he's going up down the sideline. Hang in there, baby. We're going to win this. We're going to win this. And he just he's easy to coach. And um, how, how long have you known Pagano? How long did you know him? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I coached with his brother in New Orleans in 96, so I got to know Chucky back then. Went out to Colorado and did their football camp with Sam and John, and uh, then we worked together in Cleveland, and uh, probably, yeah, since 96. So you've known him for that long of a time. Yeah. Um, and uh, is it true, a story I heard, Coach, um, that, that you were driving home um, from – the Steelers facility and got a call from Chuck and drove to the Colts facility. Is that a true story? It's pretty close. <laughs> we had our, we, we had uh, basically been fired by the Steelers, and we were in Georgia, and Chris and I were driving back to get the r- little bit of furniture we had left in Pittsburgh uh, about eight days afterwards, and the phone rang, and she, she, she looked at my cell phone and she says, oh, God, you're going to take this job. <laughs> And it said Chuck. <laughs> and uh, he answered, you know, we got on the phone and, and he offered me the job. And, and um, you know, I got really excited about the possibility of working with another young quarterback. Uh, and it really got me excited. And, and this head coaching opportunity that you have in Arizona, what a great opportunity it is. And, again, you've won six of your first ten games. How have you found being the head coach? How have you, how, how have you found uh, getting the opportunity that you've been thinking about, no doubt working towards for so many years, Coach? It's fabulous. I, I can't thank Michael Bidwell enough for giving me a chance. 
Uh, we have an unbelievable staff, uh, guys that either played for me, coached with me, uh, veteran coaches, and it's it's fun. We we, we have a lot of fun, and um, I, we have a, a team that's I, I think on the rise. And uh, you know, last year kind of convinced me that I could do what I love to do, and that's call plays still be a head coach and have the responsibilities of making relationships with defensive players and special teams guys and, and being able to do it all. So it was a it was a great testing ground for me. How do you view your running attack right now? So many people are counting the snaps that you give Ellington, that you give Rashard Mendenhall. How are you viewing your running game right now, Coach? It's getting it's getting better. Uh, Jacksonville did a pretty good job on us. But again, you know, we had so much success in the air. But uh, against Atlanta and Houston, uh, we've had a very, very solid running game, and I like where we're at. Our offensive line, knock on wood, has stayed healthy, and uh, and our, our tight ends blocking unit did a really good job against Houston. And um, Ellington, uh, here's here's the one thing about that. You know, it sounds horrible to get your hair ripped out, but <laughs> I, you and I can both be lockstep about this. If only that could happen to, to me just well, any know, day did. of the week. It did, see? You know? Back back in the day, I had what they call a mullet. Now it was a shag, but uh, I got tackled by it. And I said, "Heck with this!" I cut the back of that off. Is that right? So that's happened to me. you? Yeah, that hurt. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Hard to believe. I know. I no. Hey, listen. I, I believe anything. I, I I never thought I'd be in the position. And I don't know if you could hear. I have a little bit more pep in my step during this interview right now, Coach, because I am rocking. A new era BA red <laughs> Kangle right now. Beautiful. Um, it's a new era Kangle right now. Um, how, where are you standing? Where's your? Where is your crusade, in a way, it, to bring the Kangle to the sideline? Uh, it's it's going no going for the sideline. Yes. No, it's not going too good. But uh, <laughs> you know the hats the hats are are sold on our our family foundation website, mm-hmm. and the money's going to charity, and and uh, a, a voice for children. So at every hat that we sell, proceeds uh, go to to the foundation. And where what what website can people go to for that? The Arians Family Foundation. Fantastic. But you are where where are we in terms of getting this on where you could wear it on the sideline? The more help I can get, the better. Let's do it. I can ma- I can I can make this part of of our podcast crusade here. There you go, because it is Coach. a new era product, and they are the official hat of the NFL. But but so what what is it? Is there a fashion police that's out there that's basically yes, saying that you cannot you cannot wear you cannot wear a kangle? No, I can't wear this hat. Oh, or whatever whatever we're calling this thing. What is it? A Gatsby hat or something like it's that? A Gatsby, yes. Okay, I don't want to get you in any trouble, but no. okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best here, Coach. I mean, I'm 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 hit or miss whenever I put my mind to something, but I'm gonna do my best um, to to get the. It would be great to see you in the, in this league where. You know, Bum Phillips would wear, you know, his yeah. his hat, and Landry would wear his hat. You should be able to rock this this lid. Yes, indeed. They they're selling pretty good at the stadium, and uh, they look great on the girls too. <laughs> it's fun for the whole family. Yes, indeed. Fantastic. Well, listen. Good luck to you this week against Indianapolis. Is it is it true again in a way that you said last year you didn't reach out to anybody? This last question for you. You didn't reach out to anybody to when you were the interim coach. Is it true that Del Rio reached out to you when he was named as such for Fox to try and get thoughts on yeah, how Jack to handle it? Jack and I had a nice conversation, and uh, I was glad he did. I don't think he really needed any help, having been a head coach and, and knew what to do. But, uh, we had, yeah, we had a nice little conversation. Didn't you share at all what you, what you told him? 
basically just be yourself and and uh like i said keep the seat warm you know keep foxy in front of your team all the time interesting coach i really appreciate it and, and i you know in the times that i've met you i told you what you did last year uh with the colts beyond inspirational and uh you deserve the opportunity that you got in arizona and congrats on the uh six and four start and good luck moving forward Thanks, Rich. You bet. That's Bruce Arians of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, former staff, now of the Arizona Cardinals, taking on the Colts here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Interesting stuff there. Interesting stuff. Jack Del Rio called him. Yep. How he got the job in Indianapolis. That was some story. I heard that story. I had heard that story, and I'm I'm glad uh, it was true. I threw it out there. One of those questions that you think you know the answer to, you don't know, and hopefully you get the answer you were looking for. How about his wife just uh, saying, no, you know, knowing, you're, knowing you're, who he you're is? Right? This job. You're <laughs> Interesting that he's kind of told his team that it's, it's they're in the playoffs now. How do I look in the Kangol, by the way? It's or whatever they call it. it, it it's a Kangol is a brand, so you're in a new era hat. I, so this is me. This is like me holding a tablet and calling it an iPad. Yeah, right. pretty much. That's what you're saying exactly. Right. Or like, me, me having a me having a bandage and calling it a band aid. Right. Me having just a Rico copy and calling it a Xerox. Is that what you're saying? I like it. Exactly. I actually like it. I think you would look good golfing in it. I'm not sure where looks else. Looks good on Payne you, though. I'm not sure where else you would wear it. I got a free bowl of soup with this, if that's <laughs> what you're saying. Looks good on you, though. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it looks good. Yeah, it's Payne Stewart-esque. Exactly. And again, Arizona is tied uh, with San Francisco. And um, the how reason... About, reason how about that NFC West? Well, I- I'll tell you what, man. There, we knew we knew going into the season that, that it was the toughest division in football. Sure. And you do take a look at every every other spot. But I don't think we would expect that Arizona to be 6-4 and four, 10 weeks in, 11 a- weeks the in. The AFC West does have the two uh, teams with the best records in the AFC within it. Um, the AFC, rest of the AFC divisions don't really scare you top to bottom. Uh, the NFC East is a reality show train wreck where, by the way, the Giants take on the Cowboys this week just one game behind them. The Giants have won four in a row since losing their first six. They're four and Monster six. Monster game. And if they win that game, they will have the same record as Dallas at five and six, a game behind the bye weeking Philadelphia Eagles. It was amazing. Remember a couple weeks ago in the meeting, we were talking about the Giants, and Marshall was like, "Why are we talking about the Giants? They're one and six. The Giants are four and six now, man. I know. And they are relevant in Week Twelve, to say the least. Certainly, healthy. if they win that game, if they beat the Giants, if they beat the Cowboys at home, holy smokes! Then you look at the NFC North. The Bears, with G- with uh, Josh McCown, seem to be more efficient it's than the out. one with Jay Cutler over in the last four months, four weeks, and and they are six and four. But unfortunately, of their four losses, two for them, unfortunately, two are against the Lions, who lost in Pittsburgh, which is four and six. <laughs> by the way, Jim Schwartz. I mean, he's got to come under a little fire for that. Well, that that fake field goal, yeah, uh, was a head scratcher. Instead of going up seven in that slop in Heinz Field, it's one of those things where it's a genius. What a what a gamble! What a yeah. move! You're now up eleven. Right. Instead, what makes it worse is they let Ben Roethlisberger march down the field to take the lead. Because mm-hmm. your your thought is okay. If it doesn't go well, I'm still up four, and my defense has them pinned on their own two yard line, and Ben marched him down the field, and then scored again. Yeah. So. 
They're four and six. By the way, podcast bump for Roethlisberger. And Pittsburgh has a big game this weekend. Pittsburgh takes on Cleveland. He's still in it, too. Well, you take a look at the AFC. You want to talk about, you know, the differences in conferences. Is the Jets, despite getting absolutely embarrassed and boat raced in western New York by the Buffalo Bills, just looking brutal. You want to talk about a turnover machine, Geno Smith. Geno Smith, their second round draft choice, looked terrible. Turning it over in every manner possible. D. Milner. I tweeted it out like in, in Western in Buffalo, the we want Bama T-shirts means D Milner. I mean, the ball skills that he is showing right now, how he is drafted in the top half of a first round is beyond me. And, you know, Sheldon Richardson's a man, but they got to steal with him. Wilkerson and Richardson. OK, those two tackles. But they're still despite how terrible they looked they're They are. They fell to two and five in conference. They have the worst turnover differential in the AFC. And yet, their 5-5 five and five record is good enough for the sixth seed right now. They would be traveling to New England week <laughs> one of the playoffs if they started this week. Miami is also 5-5, five and five, but on the outside looking in because they haven't won a division game yet. So when you just look at division tiebreak, the Jets are 2-2. Two and two. Of their two conference wins, the two are in division, one against New England, one against Buffalo earlier on in the year. The Jets and Miami have not played one another, but right behind them is a trail, a vapor trail of four and six teams. Take a guess real quick at what the Jets' plus-minus point differential is. Is it it three figures? Is it three figures? It's almost. Almost. They're negative 85. (laughs) That's second worst in the league behind the Jaguars. That's your sixth seed in the AFC right now. It's crazy. And you take a look at behind the five and five Jets and Miami Dolphins. Oakland, Tennessee. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, and San Diego, all four and six. San Diego. With the Bills at four and seven, not really out of it. That's but, the AFC. But that's what, nine teams still in the playoff? Parody, parody, Rich. In the NFC, like I said, Arizona and Chicago are at six and four. And San Francisco had New Orleans in a game in the Superdome. And we're playing that bruising style of football that normally in the past years they were able to survive or win, imposing their will. And Ahmad Brooks comes in on Drew Brees and hits him, separates him from the football, recovers the football, right around midfield of a game in the fourth quarter, up three, flagged from Tony Corrente, and you look at the hit. Brooks moves his helmet to the side. They don't contact there. His arm, his arm goes around sort of the clavicle, in just above the breastbone and collarbone. And to me, it looks like maybe part of his forearm was in the neck area. And the rule book says if it's anywhere near the neck area, that is an that is a penalty. And it looked like the neck moved and the head moved in such a jarring fashion that the the hit had to have been Head-to-head. Let's just say it's a good thing Merton Hanks never played quarterback. Or head-to-neck because it looked like the recoil, right? Like the reverb. It it didn't look good. It didn't look good, yeah. That still image of his head on one side and his body on the other. Mike Pereira says 10 times out of 10, 10 different refs call it a foul. Is what he said. Dean Blandino, he's going to hit Breeze high in the neck area. The quarterback in that posture is defenseless. You can't make a forcible contact to the head or neck area, even if it starts at the shoulder. 
Initial contact was on the shoulder, but rises up to the neck area, which is why the arm was thrown. The arm was clearly around the neck. Flag. Wait, do you have a problem with that call? I do, man. You yeah, do? I, I, have I pro- do. I have a problem with it, too. It really? totally changed the game. Well, it has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. I, I believe these rules, these penalties have to be reviewable. If you ask Tony Carrenti after he threw the flag, was that helmet to helmet? Was that head to head? Or was it arm to clavicle area I mean, moving got, up to the neck? Clotheslined. The parsing, the parsing that we just I just read you from Dean Blandino, and I know parsing has a negative connotation to it, but he's basically saying you take a look at it in retrospect, the arm is starts at the shoulder and moves up to the neck. That's a foul. Why can't we have that sort of ability to parse it out during the game? What's the problem? Yeah. Well, I asked this of Jeff Fisher at our Combine special yep. last year, and he said that opens the Pandora's box. So do you allow coaches to challenge penalties Penalties that were not called? He also didn't think that the tuck rule would be overturned either, though. And that, that did get overturned. Correct. But he basically said, so if there is helmet to helmet and it's missed, do you now allow the flag to be called for that? And I said, treat it like 12 men on the field. You can do that. Like a scoring play. That happened on Thursday night football where they missed a 12 men on the field. There were 14 guys on the field. And in between the first and second quarters, Pagano threw the challenge flag. So if you're allowing you to challenge a penalty that was not called for too many men on the field, and you can look in and basically see that there are more than 12 men on the field. If you are using replay for that, why can't you see if somebody did hit somebody illegally from the neck up, especially when there's a turnover? Now, you could sit here and say, well, then why don't we open up pass interference? But as we saw on Monday, pass interference is a far more of a judgment call than seeing if helmet to helmet was made, if arm did go around neck. Why not, man? Why not? If it's a swinging arm and it takes out someone's neck, I have no problem with the rule. Like, that's dangerous. Someone's going to get hurt. But if he's just coming and coming into wrap. It looked like he wrapped. That's a tough. What's I, the I don't think there was any do? intent. Like, he, he didn't yeah. lift him up, he didn't throw him down. And if, if Drew yeah, just Brees because, is two inches taller. But just because there's no intent doesn't mean it's not a penalty. That's true. I just think that's not a penalty. I had a problem with that one. Running backs a, get hit like, I mean, I know the quarterback is different than a man, running Man, I had a problem with that one. Tough. And officiating, I mean, if we had come, I can't believe that we are a billion hours or whatever minutes we are into this podcast and we still <laughs> haven't hit the Chiefs and the Broncos. And that was a game everyone was looking forward to yeah. coming into the week. But I just think in light of the way the Monday night game ended, in light of the, the game between San Francisco and New Orleans, which is also a crucial NFC contest, sure. and the fact that we're going to see Broncos Chiefs again in two weeks' time, and the way the game went down was essentially the way that we were all figuring was going to happen, that the Chiefs were going to make sure Peyton didn't go hogwild, 48-point type game. But they didn't touch him, Rich, and that was one thing coming into the game. We Shocking. were all wondering what was going to happen. Was this Chiefs number 1 D going to be able to get to Peyton Manning, who may or may not be banged up, didn't touch him? With no Ryan Clady on the Chiefs or on the Broncos' offensive line. Didn't either. touch him. I think that that might have to be more of a concern than what we expect out of the offense, which is right. not much if they have to come from behind. 
That was confirmed. What we all believed about the Alex Smith-led offense, if it was under duress based on the scoreboard, Mm -hmm. that it would not be able to go point for point or lead a comeback. That is obviously distressing. But the fact that they couldn't touch Peyton Manning is 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 an issue. I still think the Chiefs are going to beat them about the face and head in two weeks. In Arrowhead, so do I. I, I now I now flipped it. I, I don't think they have. I don't think they can. And I picked the Chiefs this week because I thought their defense would be able to get to Peyton Manning. They can't do it. I think it's a different game at home, and the and the Chiefs are coming or the Broncos are coming off of the Patriots this week, and that's three straight weeks of tough, tough games. Hmm. But it's amazing that the Chiefs go from nine and zero in first place to right. nine seed. and one in the five seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. But that. But we knew that. That's the way it yeah. works. Yeah. And guess who might have that problem too? Is New Orleans. I'm telling you, man. I'm yeah. telling you. I know that this. I mean, the Saints. The Saints are. Are we have established they they don't look the same on the road. Right. How in the world did they lose to the Jets? How is that the team that they lost to, the one that we saw in Buffalo, right? No They idea. lost to the Jets, No man. idea. Graham, no, I mean, you got to right credit the Jets. That. They were better on that day. Yeah, absolutely. But if that's the difference between in the Superdome and out of the Superdome. And think about this. They had the Patriots beat on the road also, and then to go lay an egg like they did at MetLife is just baffling. Carolina. Don't count them out. I want to see Carolina go to the Dome. Just that's- because I know – hey – that is their next test. Right. That might be their only remaining test. For sure. Other than winning the games at home that they should. Right. Right? But but sure. But to go to the Dome where it's nearly next to impossible to win at. How is it? I mean, the the New Orleans almost, almost, I mean, New Orleans almost lost at home. But they didn't. The to breaks. San Francisco. Which is hanging on. Yeah. Boy, do they need Crabtree back. Different team, huh? He's sitting on my bench on fantasy. Hopefully, different <laughs> team without him. Me too. I st- that that I quarterback him. needs him. I stashed him. He was like his BFF what out was there. It? That was uh, with Vernon Bolden's Davis. First touchdown reception yeah, since, since week, week one. one. Yeah, that's actually not true. I got corrected on that. He had one against St. Louis. Uh, I saw your tweet. That's what I was going night. off of. Now, well, part of the Week Twelve landscape is what's coming on Friday. Um, we've got a podcast on Friday that's uh, been in the works for months, right? The yes. CEO of Twitter, uh, Dick Costolo, is going to join this podcast. In person, coming down. Yep. Dick Costolo is coming in. That's going to be a fun one. And, um, well, I mean, there's just so much to talk with him about because he was also part of the feed burner. He created it, didn't he? Yeah, he, he created FeedBurner along with three other partners, and uh, FeedBurner is obviously what most podcasts are run off of right so it's a huge so there's that and of course you know obviously twitter has just become the second window of choice for for sporting events mm-hmm. and he's a he's a michigan guy like he himself. is and they have a deal with the nfl i mean there's lots to talk about with him and what we want out of this is to get you guys blue check marks <laughs> me at least six more figures of followers <laughs> no doubt and a retroactive uh, stock purchase at the twenty six yes. dollar mark. Yes, dollar yep. mark. I mean, I will empty my savings account. Isn't that large? But I will empty it <laughs> for, for, for the twenty six to get in at twenty six. Yeah, you right. couldn't get in all the way at twenty six. No, you couldn't. Gort, Gecko couldn't do it. You were you were too wrapped up in Teldar paper. Uh, Anacott steel. Anacott steel. You were too actually. wrapped up in Anacott I'm an steel. An, I'm an Anacott steel. Greed guy, is Rick. good. And also on Friday, um, we'll be talking about. Uh, 
the Thursday night game. We'll have a little bit more clarity what we yes. expect it to be in New Orleans. But that's also the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy Jr. It is. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I wanted to pause and uh, remember, obviously, one of the most solemn days in the history of our country uh, that's being discussed in the sports world as well because of what uh, went down in the National Football League that weekend, the decision to play games in the aftermath of the assassination of John F. Kennedy November 22, 1963, that occurred on a Friday. Fifty years later, it falls on a Friday again, right before an NFL Sunday in week number 12 that we've been previewing the entire show. And I would love to talk about this right now with uh, uh, um, an esteemed guest, to say the least. And I'm not just saying that because a man's way up the float chart in the National Football League since 1965, an employee of this place that uh, uh, many people have called him the keeper of the flame. He is a... Uh, Long-time uh, advisor to um, uh, Roger Goodell, before that Paul Tagliabue, and Alvin Pete Rosell, an NFL executive of the highest order, Joe Brown, on the Rich Eisen podcast. How are you, Joe? Fine, thank you, Rich. Good to be with you. Was that introduction as, as you scripted it for me? Did I? Did it, was, I... <laughs> it was nearly perfect. Okay. <laughs> I will take that and, and run with that. I appreciate you joining uh, the show for this. Uh, you you joined the uh, the league two years after uh, Commissioner Roselle made his decision, but obviously uh, you worked intimately with the man for decades. So the the story that everybody's been telling is how uh, Commissioner Roselle called that, and there's been sound bites on 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 television him saying that he regretted the decision. Can you walk us through, as best your knowledge, the decision that that Commissioner Roselle made? Uh, well, this coming weekend, 50 years ago. Yeah, Rich, you, you use the word regret, and I and I agree with that. But I'm not splitting hairs with you or your listeners, viewers. Uh, I'm not playing a word game. But but did he live to regret the decision? I would say yes, Pete, Pete did, uh, simply due to all the negative attention it brought on the league, uh, the, 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 the division it caused within the league with the owners, and within the player ranks, the the uh, the media criticism. But while he regretted it, uh, I, I really don't think and and that he thought that he made the wrong decision. And he told me that on several occasions in the last uh, 15 or 20 years of his life. Uh, I knew him pretty well in his, in his later years. As you said, I, I started as a college uh, intern with him in a very small league office that there were only 10 full-time uh, employees. But our relationship developed over the years to the point that when he passed in 96, that he had it in his will that he asked me to coordinate the, the memorial service for him here in New York, which I was honored to do. But I was fortunate to spend quite a bit of time one-on-one with him in the 80s and in the 90s after after he stepped down. But that, that there was no precedent, Rich, uh, nor context for for the Kennedy the Kennedy decision uh, in '63, and no policy manuals as to what was right or wrong. Um, Pearl Harbor had occurred just a little more than 20 years earlier, and we continued this season, even though World uh, World War II was declared. We continued this this season uh, and finished the the last two or three weeks. Uh, while we were in a war. So um, Pete lived through that. He eventually joined the Navy. He fought 
in World War II. He was aware of that history. But it was, as I say, there was, there was no precedent uh, for that uh, November 22, November 24, Sunday the 24th decision. Um, I think that uh, uh, it's, been, it's been written and said and documented very well that uh, um, happened on Friday afternoon, as you say, the assassination. Teams were getting ready um, to uh, board trains or planes to travel to their, to their road game. There were only um, 14 teams at the time, but Pierre, uh, Pierre Salinger was a friend of Pete's uh, from his from their college days up in University of San Francisco, the and, press secretary to JFK, and Pierre Salinger had moved on to become press secretary for for the president. And and to show you how things are changed, while the president was down in Dallas, uh, Salinger was over uh, in Japan with some cabinet members. He was working his way back to the mainland, and. Uh, uh, he stopped. They stopped to refuel in Hawaii and got the news, received the news of the assassination while they were in Hawaii. And Pete somehow, and, and it, it, you look back and say, how the heck did he get him? But he contacted uh, Salinger, and they spoke on the phone for a brief time. And it was Salinger's uh, gut reaction that he thought that the president and, and his family would want the games to be played. Um, uh, the president's sport was was football, and and uh, Pierre and and Pete ultimately thought that it would be a way to honor the president's memory uh, to play the games uh, that weekend, and so that's what was done. Pete told me subsequent in subsequent years, he told me another factor was was uh, that neither the Cowboys. Well, the Redskins were home that weekend, and those would have been the two cities most affected immediately uh, by the assassination. Dallas with the Cowboys, that's where it occurred. Washington, which is where the, uh, the wake and the funeral would be. So that, that was a factor that we didn't have any games scheduled in, in those two cities. Well, in terms of contacting Salinger, was that essentially um... – the commissioners, um, th- th- is, that, is that the information that swayed his decision the most? Was Pierre Salinger, JFK's press secretary, speaking on behalf of the assassinated president, saying he would have wanted it that way? Is that most yeah, of the information that he, he, he worked yeah, on? Yeah, I, I, think, I think, Rich, I don't know if Salinger was speaking on behalf of the, of the president, the, the deceased president now and the, and the family, or was he speaking in the context of, this was this was Pete's uh, college buddy from from USF, who now is in a in a in a powerful position. But it was a, it was a, a gut decision, really, by both of them. But but Pete, to his credit, he always said that when when media asked him about it later, and uh, he always said, "Hey, it was my decision. It wasn't Pierre's. It wasn't the league's. It wasn't CBS." Which was televising the games in those days, that it was it was Pete's decision to make. I, I he he was asked most often about it, Rich, when when he retired in '89, and I sat through any number of those interviews uh, when he was retiring, and the media would ask him one-on-one interviews, say, Pete, what do you think your greatest 
accomplishments were in your 29 years as commissioner. And he would say, well, the growth of the Super Bowl, the merger of the of the two leagues, Monday night football. And then the, the interviewer would say, and Pete, what about decisions that you regret uh, in addition to the Kennedy assassination? <laughs> and it was it was a given. And I, I really do think, Pete, uh, uh, Rich, and, and at that time, that Pete was so tired, he just wanted to get out of the job. Uh, it, took them, it took the owner six months to find his successor, uh, as you know, but he wanted to get back out to California. He was a California native, and so he, he really wasn't so much concerned about his legacy. Um, uh, he was already in the Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and so when the media made a thing about, well, in addition to the Kennedy decision, which others do you regret? He, he didn't fight it that hard. And, and as I said earlier, I, I think he probably did regret the decision in subsequent years. But down in his heart, I, I think he died believing that he had made the, 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 the right decision. What about the con- just obviously you can't view it in a vacuum, the, the fact that the games were played and shortly before kickoff is when Oswald got shot, just putting obviously this this country into further shock and disarray that 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 made the decision, I guess, worse for the lack of a better phrase. Well, if 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 there's any such thing, and pardon my New York humor, Rich, but if there's any such thing as the president of the United States being assassinated, the fact that his the, the the one who did the assassination would be killed less than 48 hours later on on live television. God, it 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 really made it the, the the one of the major events of the 20th century. But uh, Pete sitting there late Friday afternoon, early Friday evening, deciding with the teams calling him saying, "Are we playing? Are we not playing?" Uh, of course, he didn't. He didn't know what would happen with Oswald and Jack Ruby uh, two days later. The, the one other thing, Rich, I, I think it's important for people to understand, especially younger people, is that it, it was a different time uh, for the NFL and for the country. That in, in 1963, we were still behind Major League Baseball and college football in terms of fan popularity. We only had 14 teams, not the 32 we have today. Uh, there were no podcasts, pardon the expression, yes. or 24-7 football networks or social, social media, media. Sure. Yeah, uh-huh. social media coverage. We, we were not part of the American uh, scene the way we are, fortunately, we are today. So, well, so many people are making, well, I, and there were, there were games, uh, who else played that weekend? Well, there were any number of college games. I think there were uh, more than a dozen college games played uh, the, either Friday night or on Saturday in between the assassination and the time we played on Sunday. I, I know I've read that Nebraska-Oklahoma played a big game for the, for the uh, Big 8 championship. In effect, the Big 8 championship played that Saturday afternoon. So that probably was a bigger game, Nebraska-Oklahoma, in those days than most, if not all, of our games uh, in 63. And so many stories and discussions of this um, uh, parallels being drawn to the decision that the NFL made um, in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, the decision-making process that Paul Tagliabue went through that you were intimately involved in as well. W- what do you think of those comparisons, Joe? 
Yeah, I, I, I think I think it, it was different. I, you know, when 9/11 occurred, we thought we were on the verge of war. That four planes uh, skyjacked and and flown into the World Trade Center or into the into the Pentagon. You know, who's next? I mean, I, rem- I remember all all air travel was halted. Uh, how would we even get the teams to the games? And so I, I think I think it was it was much different. I, although, Rich, I, I did have a it was an interesting glimpse into what that conversation between Salinger and Roselle may have been in '63. Uh, in 2001, after 9/11, it was a Tuesday morning, of course, all day Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, Wednesday. Uh, Paul Tagliabue and others in our office, owners, were all discussing what are we going to do for Sunday. And uh, Donna, who was Tagliabue's assistant, she came in and she said, the White House is on the phone. So Paul said, who, is it the president? He, she said, no, it's Mr. Rove. So Paul said, you, speak to Rove. And I, I knew Carl from, I was the government relations guy at the time. So Rove, I picked up the phone. How you doing? Okay, fine. Um, he said, "What are you guys going to do on uh, on Sunday? Are you going to play?" I said, "Well, that's what, as you pulled me out of a meeting. That's yeah. what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about right now." I said, "What do you think we should do?" And he said, "No, no, no, no. It's it's your decision. It's your decision." He said, "But what we just want to do here." is to keep the country moving and return it to normal or as close to normal as we can as quickly as possible and to avoid any malaise that might come over to come over the country. So I, I told him, all right, as soon as we make the decision, we'll let you and the, and the president and others know. But I, I think it's important in the context of, of the Salinger-Roselle uh, discussion, brief discussion that it was, that they, you, government leaders want to keep, in a, period, in a time of crises, they want things to be as normal as possible. And, uh, and I'm sure that was part of the discussion that Pete had with Salinger, that all right, the Salinger's thinking, if not saying, thinking, all right, let's try to get back as, as quickly as possible to normal, that the day of mourning was going to be uh, on Monday, the day of the president's burial, not Sunday when we were playing, and uh, it, uh, it 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 was uh, it was it was an interesting insight for me that 9/11 phone call with Carl Rove. And it's interesting too that uh, in 1963, again 50 years ago this weekend, with the same days of the week as well uh, corresponding, that uh, Commissioner Roselle reached out to the federal government for guidance. And in 9/11, the federal government's calling you to see what what you're thinking. Yeah, well, at the time, that, 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 you're right, that, and that that goes to our, our standing, our fortunate standing uh, in the uh, in the country uh, in 2001, where, as you recall, Major League Baseball had stopped playing games. They were in it was September, so they were yes. in the September chase. They stopped playing games. Bud Selig's office was calling us wanting to know if we were going to play on Sunday. We had college conferences calling, wanting to know the same thing. I remember National High School Federation speaking to the head of that group, wanting to know, are we going to play this weekend? And everyone was looking to us. We had gone from being third in popularity in 63 to really being the bellwether in 2001, and we're very fortunate to be in that spot. Hmm. And uh, clearly not playing was the 
was the move. I mean, that that was well, nine eleven, nine eleven for sure. As right. I say, yeah. as I say, we thought we may be at, at war, and subsequently we we, we were. Mm-hmm. So, so now that you're fifty years removed from this, just again, I know you weren't. You came to the NFL two years later, Joe. Uh, what do you think? Um, just I guess in a way, w- w- the Commissioner Roselle, if if he was around hearing this discussion, I know you sort of touched upon it already. What he would say, with with hearing uh, this decision being brought up again as as the discussion in the sports world uh, in relation to to the JFK assassination. Well, I, I think this, Rich. I think that Pete, who who was a, a PR guy by by profession, he had been the PR director at the at the uh, at the Rams, and then ultimately a general manager of the Rams. But he was a PR guy himself. I used to kid him that that there's no coincidence that his initials were PR because that's what he was all about. <laughs> and that looking back on it, he probably said it, it wouldn't be worth it. It wouldn't be worth. We we sh- we should have we should have not played and then tack it on to the end of the season. It's not. It's not worth all the negative attention that it, that came upon the league, and of course on the shield, which was very important to Pete, um, and let everyone have the weekend off, and we'll we'll get our little league together uh, uh, after the after the president's buried. But but again, it's it's hindsight. It's hindsight, and Rich. The movie theaters were open that weekend. Broadway was open. Uh, bars, restaurants, and as I said, college games were played. Um, and and we were not the NFL uh, of 2013 back 50 years ago. We were we were truly, and I use this phrase a lot, but in those days we were truly a small cottage industry. Now now I use it facetiously when people ask when people ask how are things with you. I say well. For a, for a small cottage industry, we're trying to keep our head above water, like we did <laughs> like we did on this past Monday night when we had the Patriots and the Panthers in that great game. You you uh, you handed out the press release announcing the merger, correct, Joe? Well, I often tell my uh, my sons who are now adults, uh, but when they were younger, I, I used to say that without me and Peter Hadazy, who was a buddy of mine here in the office, mm-hmm. there probably would have not been a merger because I delivered the merger release to UPI. Yes, there was a UPI. Hadazy <laughs> did it to AP. And without us performing those functions, there probably would not have been a, yes. a, a, a merger between the two leagues. <laughs> yes, you are a factor, Joe. That's one way to describe you for sure. Right. <laughs> There's no question about it. I, I, I appreciate you taking the time, Joe. I, I really do. I, I, I cherish the conversation and every conversation we've had since I – I joined the league 10 years ago uh, when you uh, uh, were hazing me on the flight to Green Bay years ago. If you, you remember that flight, right, when, uh, yeah. before I took uh, office here in a way at the yes. NFL Network? Yes, I was just hoping you had made the right decision. And, <laughs> and fortunately for the league and for you, it turned out to be the right one. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the time. Look forward to seeing you. You bet. Same here. That's Joe Brown of the National Football League here on the Rich Eisen Podcast. I mean, seriously, he is the keeper of the Some heavy stuff there. The yeah, that was amazing. And, and he, I mean, he has been there and done that forever. And I feel even silly even saying that about, about Joe Brown. And it, that is true. We, we took a, a flight before I joined NFL Network. Again, it was week 10 of the NFL 
season in 2003 when NFL Network went on the air. And I got an invitation from Paul Tagliabue's office to accompany the commissioner on his flight to Green Bay for the opening of the season, Vikings against the Packers, where they were celebrating the latest renovations to Lambeau Field. Private jet? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I figured. Out of Teterboro <laughs> Airport in New commercial? Jersey. And we're flying there. And it was truly like traveling with the president. There was a motorcade that went to the stadium. Dante Culpepper and the Vikings ruined the day. Wow. Beat the Packers on opening day. And watched the game and then flew back as the Vikings surprised, again, shocked the Packers. And Joe Brown, again, he is, as he said, his New York humor. He is as New York through and through as they get. As you know, there is no such thing as the, the NFL is like Bushwood, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no gambling at Bushwood. It's illegal at Bushwood. He is, he's sitting next to Joe Brown is sitting next to the commissioner, Paul Tagliabue, on the flight home. And he looks at me and he goes, so, Rich, this is Joe Brown, in front of Commissioner Tagliabue, he goes, so, Rich, did you have the uh, Packers in your suicide pool? <laughs> what he says and i'm like uh, uh uh joe i i don't know what you're talking about i don't know what you mean that's awesome <laughs> that was my one of my first forays into the national football league world brockman and i are totally the caddies that would get 15 minutes of pool time in that situation and and, and out you know yeah You'd, you'd put the baby rut <laughs> yeah, in, the, uh, in the pool. Yeah, the baby rut. By the nice. way, Culpepper had three touchdowns that day, beat the pack 30-25. They did. Surprised him. Shocked him. Four picks from Favre. The, Shocked him that day. When you told uh, when, uh, you told me that you were getting Joe on, I, I kind of was fascinated by the whole thing. Because a couple of weeks ago when the, this whole Kennedy talk, 50th anniversary, I'm like, are we not over this yet? And then I start watching it again, and you st- Oh, it is just, just so fascinating. And it's Gil, incredible, man. Gil Brandt was an instrumental architect of the Cowboys, and there's a good uh, documentary coming out on NFL Total Access, just a little seven-minute piece with Whoa. Gil, and he talked about how when they were in the locker room before the game uh, that Coach Landry was worried that the locker room would be bugged because well, they were coming from Dallas. Well, Bob Lilly said we need to keep our helmets on. Who knows if we're going to get retaliated Yeah, they were, they were worried. Going. They were in Cleveland and that they, day. And the loudspeaker, the announcers wouldn't use the, t- the word Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys, they made a conscious effort to just say Cowboys because they well, didn't want to associate Dallas or anything. There have many, been, been many articles, books written yeah. about how the Dallas Cowboys and becoming America's team with Roger Staubach as its quarterback and the gleaming uniforms, the star on the side of the helmet, Tom Landry being the epitome of class at the center of that organization and the way they won and winning helped the city of Dallas become more accepted by the country in the aftermath of the JFK assassination. Again, I I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on sports. Sure. But as you know, sports is is a a healing ingredient in our pop culture world. After 9-11, after 9-11, the baseball games that took place in New York City Oh. We're beyond look healing. At, look at Brockman's Bow Sox this year with Big Poppy and what he did. With Boston Strong, of course. So you have to just put it into obviously the context that, that Dallas was, that many people held, held 
the assassination against the city of Dallas. Yeah. And the way the Cowboys performed on the national stage, the national spotlight, becoming, quote-unquote, America's team, helped the city of Dallas and the rest of the country heal. Yeah. Against or with one another. And, you know, one of the many documentaries that I've seen on this this week shows it says that 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 in, in OTL of uh, the general Bob Lee in uh, for ESPN um, did a great half hour show there was a lot of was a lot about about the NFL's decision to 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 play games that weekend uh, that one of the um, uh, analysts or uh, I guess for the lack of a better phrase one of the guests that they had on the show said that in Dealey Plaza in Dallas it is always November 22nd 1963 yeah every day have you ever been to Dealey Plaza? I've never been. I, Me neither. I have been. And when you go there, it is just hypnotic. And it is eerie. Have you it taken is the solemn? I did not do the, the tour. I the, did not do the book, the the, book yeah, depository the, tour where it's the, there's a museum on the right. sixth floor. I did not do that. Yeah. But I did. I got to be honest with you. I did what most people do when they go to Dallas, which is go to Dealey Plaza. One of the first things you do when you go there during the day to see what it looks like during the day and then when you have too much to drink at night, you go back again, and you and you just. Is it built up more? Is the grassy knoll still there? Is it? It's all the same. Kinda... It's it. It is the same. Wow. I, I'm a buff. I I eat this history stuff up. I've been reading so many articles. I watch every show about this. It's just fascinating to the me. Rob, Rob, our buddy Rob Lowe did a documentary on it um, that aired a two hour a two hour special. Well, his his played. his killing Kennedy yeah. uh, special. Set ratings records. Yeah. What is it for Lifetime or whatever it was on? Um, NFL dot com slash JFK. Yeah, JFK. If you go to NFL dot com slash JFK, Judy Batista wrote a good piece, and then the, the the video I spoke of with Gil Brantz there, and then another interesting one. You mentioned Roger Staubach. Uh, he was the Navy quarterback at the time. It's on the cover and of Life Magazine. A huge feature on him on the cover of Life Magazine, and they had already printed about three hundred thousand copies, which. In 1963, printing 300,000 copies all by, you know, machine staple ads are in. They had to scrap it, and they came out with the iconic image of JFK on the cover with the black lettering of life. And uh, it's a collector's item now if you have the Staubach cover. And then the team that Roger Staubach would eventually play for. Yeah. The Dallas Cowboys. Wow. So, Joe Brown, I want to thank him for coming on this show. How do we make the transition to Vince Vaughn? Do we just do it now? Is that what we do? Yeah, just a hard right. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick hard right. So um, we spoke with Vince on uh, on Sunday. On Sunday, correct. okay. We spoke. That was when we when when uh, the scheduled windows were opening up, and the conversation took place um, in the second half of the Ravens Bears game. Well, what was supposed to Bears. be the end? It was of supposed the game. to be the end. Crazy that that game wasn't even over yet. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Not even close. And it went into overtime. The, it's delayed right, into overtime. The, the, the which game it started four oh five. The Dolphins San Diego game nearly ended before, before. <laughs> the way the the Bears Ravens game ended. Have you ever hour, seen anything like delay. that? Well, the Super Bowl. I mean, besides, I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, but a two-hour, no, two something hour like delay. a two-hour delay at a football game. Yeah, I mean, for Stacey good reason. Dale, Stacy Dales, yeah. came on game day morning and said that they had an evacuation plan. Every stadium must have it. Certainly, if you're in the Midwest, you have to have it. Right, of course. Do you know the evacuation plan for Soldier Field is to bring everyone across the street to the Field Museum? <laughs> 
Right. It's downtown Chicago. Wow. Which, you know, looks like a fortress. It must be yeah. built like one. Yeah. Like go in the basement of the Field Museum. Unbelievable. And that they, they were planning on that. Had to do it. You saw what happened in 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 um in Illinois. Indiana, our friend good friend uh Pat McAfee. You should yeah. check out his Twitter account because he's tweeting all about raising money for folks in central Indiana that was ravaged by these tornadoes. Yeah, some of these pictures terrible. of the it's kind of reminds you of Tuscaloosa. Right. Last so year. So in the middle of the, we 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 planned. All right, we'll we'll talk to Vince after the Bears Ravens game and get his thoughts on his Bears. And we had no idea, but at the time the game was going on, and and here's the conversation. Could not be more pleased to have this man on the Rich Eisen podcast. I've been uh, wanting him on this show for a long time. Things just haven't really crossed paths until right now with his movie Delivery Man coming out on November the twenty second. He is Vince Vaughn. How are you, Vince? Great to be with you. How you doing? I'm thrilled to have you, brother. I'm thrilled I to have you. I'm thrilled to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first things first, Kurt Warner says hello Oh, to you. he's the man. Yeah, Kurt's, uh, Kurt's a great guy. Kurt says he's known you for a while, actually. I have. I've known Kurt uh, for, uh, for a little while. He's just a uh, really genuine guy, good guy. He is a good guy. And, you know, I mean, I just wanted to make sure, because he's not a liar, you know. I mean, he's not, <laughs> I had to sort of confirm with you that you actually. That's right. I, I mean, knowing Kurt's personality, one would have to have <laughs> on him. He's, yes, there's, you just, when, you, when you're on Kurt, you just sense a lack of genuineness. That's right. correct. That if, uh, if the last soda pop goes missing, everyone starts looking for one. <laughs> oh, man, for sure. So what do you think of your Bears so far this year, Vince? What are your thoughts on the Chicago Bears? Boy, I don't know. It's, uh, it looks like uh, Detroit's going to lose here today, so yep. it's exciting to uh, think that they're in the race, which is good, which is a good thing, and, you know, um, hopefully can make a playoff run. Are you a Cutler guy? Are you a Jay Cutler guy? You know, he hasn't been um, tremendous, to say the least, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd, like to see the, uh, I'd like to see the defense get a little stronger and just a little bit more consistency, and, uh, you know, it's... Exciting having McCown, and he's been doing well, so it's nice to see him doing good. Yeah, I know. It's, it seems like without Erlacher, it, 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 you know, even though he really didn't have much of his fastball the last couple of years, he's still Brian Erlacher, and, and in many ways it seems in a, that they're just missing that sort of leadership on that side of the ball, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it looks like it, and obviously Lovey being a great defensive coach, I think him leaving – you know, uh, didn't help matters as well defensively, although the offense seems to be doing better. We just can't seem to ever get uh, both sides of the ball going at once. Now, you're a fan because you, you, you were raised in Lake Forest, right, in Illinois? That's right, Buffalo Grove and then Lake Forest, so the suburbs of Chicago. So basically you've been a Bears fan your whole life? I have been. Mm. And and th- this goes back, like, the, the who, who's, your, who's your guy, I guess, from back Well, the I love the 85 Bears. I mean, obviously that was a great year for us. And just all the personalities on that team, you know, it was so fun to see those guys get interviewed because you never knew what they were going to say. They looked like they had a lot of fun. And uh, it was just a great, great group of personalities in that 85 Bears. I mean, obviously, Jimmy Mack was, uh, was uh, the man, and, and, you know, Fridge was fun, and, Singletary, in a different way, was a great personality. Dan Hampton, McMichael, there was just a lot of great guys on that team. Then, of course, Sweetness himself. Sweetness is the end that begins and ends with him, right? <laughs> I, mean, what a, I mean, you can't have a, a better player who had more composure than, than, than Peyton. He was uh, just such a gentleman. Did you ever meet Ditka? 
You ever met, have you ever come? I have met Coach Dick. Uh, I like him quite a bit. He was, uh, you know, him and Ryan were a great combination. Uh, the two of them didn't seem to get on too well uh, personally, but I think the combination together, they did a hell of a job with that team. What? I think if they would have stuck around, maybe they would have won a couple more. What's it like meeting these guys? Vince, you grew up, you grew up, you know, rooting for them and, and looking up to them, and now you, you get to know them. What, what's that like for you? Well, you know, it's uh, you respect people who work hard at what they do and are great at what they do. So, you know, and obviously when you're a kid and you're a fan of those teams, that's a big deal. I remember uh, Lake, Lake Forest, the uh, Bears used to train, still do, they, they uh, would train there. And I remember one day walking as a kid and I saw Walter Payton, and that was really the only time that I really was kind of, you know, blown away in, in sort of meeting somebody. Then Walter, he was very nice. I said hi to him, and he said hi. You know, and, uh, <laughs> You know, you're kind of wide-eyed there as a kid, and you yeah. just can't believe it. I mean, especially back then when the Bears, you know, prior to 85, were never very good, and Walter was the one thing that we would all sort of, you know, take pride in or have any joy in. Is Chicago, everybody from Chicago said, you know, despite Jordan and all the rings and what he stood for and what he means, that it's a Bears town. Would you agree? You know, what Jordan did is unbelievable, not just, I think, in Chicago, but I think he just captured people who weren't even basketball fans. It's incredible what he was able to accomplish, and I think he had—he was one of those guys that's very likable. But, yeah, I think it is a Bears town. You know, that being said, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sports town. So, uh, you know, I think, I think that the Bears, you know, you're always going to have a lot of support there. The team's one of the original teams there. Of course, the Bears and Packers is the oldest rivalry, so it's it's very entrenched in the city for sure. Right. And you know, the, the baseball divides the city. The Bears is the one kind of uniter. Right. And, uh, you know, Cubs and White Sox, um, you're you're a North Sider, correct? You fall well, I'm a, yeah, and I'm a National League fan. I like the pitcher hitting. I just like the strategy <laughs> of it better. I, I think it's a better game when the guy who's in the field also has to has to bat, and I like the strategy that comes with it. You know, when do you pull him? When you get the bullpen going, I just prefer the National League. Do you ever throw out a first pitch? You ever do that? I have thrown a few of them out, and some of them better than others. <laughs> But like any great athlete, I try to have a short memory when it comes to the ones that didn't go as well. Good for you. You're, that's like a closer, right? You're like a closer. <laughs> like a closer. You know? In fact, it's, it's, it's like an opener who, who performs like a closer because it's literally one pitch. And it's also something that you know is going to be on the Internet forever if you bounce it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, if you like Carl Lewis it up to the plate, I don't know if you've ever seen it's like It's like a bowling ball when Carl threw out a first pitch one time. <laughs> How have you done doing that? You know what? I did it this year for the Dodgers, um, and I was asked to do it, and I went and I practiced. I went to uh, a, a diamond because, I, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I snapped off in off speed, you know? Right. Um, so I, I threw for a couple of days. I had like a throwing program. You know, I, I would ice down in between three, <laughs> three or four days. Lots of fluids. Of course, lots of fluid. Can, can't cramp up. You know, no. but but it, you don't it, train that hard just to cramp on the day. Come on, Vince. I mean, I, I it, the bottom line is, I just knew that it was going to be out there if I bounced it, and certainly with the guys that I work with, Marshall Falk and Sap, yeah. and you know, even Warner. Warner, I mean, Warner again. He he's he's got a little bit of the red ass in him. Like he will he will really get in your face. You know, <laughs> so, so uh, what ended up happening is 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 I threw it. I didn't bounce it. Um, I would have hit a right-handed hitter, but the lefty would have clearly been fooled by the off-speed action. I like that. And the big thing is you didn't bounce it. You got it no. over the plate. And you, 
in that moment, you just can't overanalyze it. You can you throw the ball all day long, you don't think about it. But when you have to take that walk out there and give it a throw, it does it does give someone pause. Most, most nerve wracking thing I may have ever done, by the way, and I've done stand up comedy back in college. Nothing. No, I know it's like you're going to throw. You but did you go for it? Did you try to throw it hard, oh, or did you yeah. say I'm just going to lob this thing? Absolutely. I think I, I had, it would have been for the show. Yeah, I know. Actually, like I, I had to, I had to go and just absolutely um, let loose. That's good. Uh, you know, but I was a fear of nuke lelouching it and just throwing and just throw it, it it's nerve wracking. But well, so it you, sounds like it went pretty well, which is good. Well I can I've lived to tell the story. That's right. <laughs> at the very at the very, very least. I like it. So um how far do you think the Bears can go? When it's all said you know, and done I think this we year. Can go the postseason. I, I, let's see what happens here. I mean what, what what's going on with Rodgers? Right. You don't know what's gonna happen with him and look at I mean I think the Niners are a great team. You know, the the Saints are a great team. Seattle's a good te- great teams, but you you just don't know how it's going to pan out there. I think who's going to win? Is Philadelphia going to win that division or Dallas? Philly just had a big win today. Mm-hmm. So there's you know you just don't know the playoffs till you get hot. But I think right now I think most people would put the front runners with sort of Seattle and probably uh, the Saints, right? Niners yes. right there, although they had a, a rough loss. But you know it's weird. Look at Indianapolis had beaten who? They beaten Seattle. And they beat uh, San Francisco, they beat the Niners, mm-hmm. and yeah, also and now, Denver. And now they, and then they got blown out. Uh, they got blown out not too long ago. That's correct. You never know. That's the beautiful thing about all of this. That's the beautiful thing about all of it. So I think it's still. I don't think anyone looks like they have a dominant thing, and we'll see who stays healthy and and who stays fresh. Now, what are you thinking in the college football? What are you thinking mm. about the BCS? What? Do, who do you put as your top two? Uh, it's Alabama, and then every uh, everybody else with a pulse. So you don't mind. even put FSU in the conversation. Uh, you know what? I think I would love to see. Well, I'm a Michigan guy, so no, I know that. I know you're a Michigan guy. You guys had an OT win against uh, Northwestern. The, uh, yes, that's right. Yes, North. I mean, you know, we don't look any gift overtime win in a mouth right now. Um, but yes, but, you know, Fitz, but Fitzgerald's got them playing well. They started He's off good. really hot this year, and then the wheels have kind of come off. But they're they're a dangerous team. I thought they, they were top twenty five for a minute. I thought they had Ohio State right where they wanted them actually uh, a couple of months ago. And that disappointed me greatly because I root for Michigan and whoever plays Ohio State. It's the truth, you know. I understand the rivalry. My family's man. from Ohio, so I'm on the other side of that. Oh. But it looks like Illinois kind of gave him a. Illinois was giving him a little bit of a scare going into the fourth yesterday. That is true. So you're Ohio State? Is that where you? You're... I do root for Ohio State because my father's from Ohio, so I I root for Ohio State. And I'm just kind of a Big Ten fan, as it, you know. Or we're, we're all brothers come January, Rich. Yeah, and and so. Where do you stand on Notre Dame? Because you were in yeah, I'm Rudy. a Notre Dame fan. And I Is grew that up in because? Chicago, so that was down the road. And then obviously we're doing Rudy when me and Favreau did Rudy, and we were there, and that was a great season. Holtz was there. That was the last time they played uh, Penn State before Penn State went and joined the Big Ten. And we were on the field where uh, where Bettis they went for the two point conversion and got it and, <laughs> and beat them. That was a great that was a great great experience. Well, Vince, I you know being a Michigan guy, uh, I rent Rudy, hoping he pops a quad. At the end, <laughs> that you've that that somehow some way you've shot an alternate ending is what I'm like maybe a hamstring blown or uh, an Achilles is really wouldn't be bad either. But you got to feel like you guys are on the right track now. You know what? Yes, I like I like our coach. I like Brady Hoke. I like that him. was a big win for you guys as it beating Notre Dame as it turned out. That's yeah. the Michigan State's one loss. Yes, I know. And uh, I, again, I'm 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 a Michigan guy, and I'm hoping that things are going in the right direction. But you're right. It, it's Alabama. I think Florida State. Jameis Winston is incredible. Um, yeah. And Ohio State is just. Uh, I was uh, surprised when FSU beat 
Clemson as bad as they did. They beat them like a drum as well. They and beat then them. how about Duke yesterday? Duke is incredible what they are doing, and I, they're going to go to the ACC title game. And, and we'll, doesn't Mellencamp's son play cornerback for them, I heard? I didn't know that. Is that right? Yeah, Come I on. think John Mellencamp's son uh, walked on and is playing on the football team, I heard. No which I, kidding. Yeah, I, I thought. But anyway, that was a big win for that program to, to beat Miami. Looks like they're kind of getting back and doing better. And, uh, you know, but uh, that was a big deal for Duke to beat them. But, you know what, and, and, then there's, and then there's Baylor. Yes, there is. Baylor's playing Oklahoma State next week. In a big that'll help them in the, in the ratings for sure. They've been doing well. That's RG3's old alma mater. That is right. You are correct, sir, Vince. But it'll be, it'll be interesting down the line. Look, at, I, I hope that I, I pull for the Buckeyes. I think Urban Meyer is a great coach. And, you know, what is it? What, they were the only undefeated team last year at the end of the season. That's right. They've won 24 in a row. Um, and I hope Michigan just snaps that right in half. I, I really, that would, that's, that, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, I'm a bitter man, Vince. Uh, what do you think of Manziel? I think he's going to be good at the next level. I do, too. I like him. I like the kid. I think he has he has he has the, the, and, and you'll appreciate this being a Big Ten Midwest guy. He's got moxie. That's a word that you don't hear a lot of. You know. <laughs> no, that's true. He does though. He does have moxie, and he's and he's also like it looks like he's having fun and enjoying it. You know, it looks like you know he's uh, trying to uh, enjoy his time there. <laughs> he does. He does seem to enjoy. He seems like he should be in Wedding Crashers. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It looks like he's out there trying to have some fun. I he mean, is. I, I haven't followed it all too close, but uh, no. I thought it was incredible that when they beat Alabama the way they did, and his teammates seemed to really like him. And, uh, you know, he's out there trying to have some fun. And I think he's done a great job this year. Man, I love talking ball with you. Um, Before I let you go, I would love, of course, obviously, to talk about your movie Delivery Man that's coming out uh, on November the 22nd. I I love this premise, Vince, where essentially you are a guy who has unknowingly fathered over 500 children. Is that correct in this film? That's correct. It's uh, a guy when he's younger, a thing that most gentlemen do recreationally. He has sort of uh, kind of donated his stuff, if you will, yes. to a, uh, to a uh, fertility bank, and they kind of overused it. And now he's older, and uh, there's a bunch of kids who, are trying, who, who want to meet their natural uh, father, which uh, is my character's name is David Wozniak. And... You know, the movie is the director of it, uh, this writer-director I'm working with again here, a second time I'm shooting a movie with Tom Wilkinson and Dave Franco. Um, and he's just a really talented guy. The movie's very funny, but it's also very dramatic and very moving. And it just kind of, you know, all in one movie kind of goes all over the map. But it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff and surprising stuff, but it's pretty edgy, too. And so you enjoy doing, I mean, dramedy, I guess, is the word that you could throw out there. Um, True. Do you enjoy doing that? I do. You know, it was fun to go to the set and each day have different scenes that caused, you know, called for different stuff. So it was exciting to get a chance to go do that. And it was fun. Chris Pratt's a fun guy. Kobe Smolders, she's, she's very nice and easy on the eyes. We had a, we had a good time. Yeah, she's in uh, How I Met Your Mother. And uh, right. so this is a big this is a big movie for her, too. And so you, you had mentioned the, the movie that you're shooting on right now, uh, The Business Trip. That's right. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the producers is Giants owner Steve Tisch, correct? That's correct. Mr. Tisch has been very nice, and he's, uh, he is one of the producers. On yes, it. he is. Does he, do you talk I've got to tell you, I did take David Wilson early in my fantasy draft uh-huh. and have recovered from that. <laughs> did you give Steve the business for that sort of thing? I did not. I did try to ask him what was going on a few weeks ago with the x-ray. Right. And, and did he cough any information up? On the it set? was too soon to tell, but um, mm-hmm. God, I think the kid's got a, Wilson's got a lot of talent. I'd like to see him get healthy. I he think, does. Uh, 
they were a little harsh on him there, I thought, for that, that first couple of games. And like the whole team wasn't quite uh, playing great, and a lot of it sort of fell on fell on Wilson. Well, if you put the ball in the turf for Tom Coughlin, you're going to wind up I, on a milk No cart. question. Right, but it just felt like there was a lot of facets of the game that weren't as organized, and it felt like he was kind of the one that kind of got put into the doghouse. Who but, else uh, is they, on your fantasy team? I'm in an 18-man uh, league. We call it a man's league, Rich, and, uh, <laughs> with uh, with a uh, with a flex back. So uh, you know who I picked up recently is Foles, who's been doing well. Yes, that's correct. So which league is this? Who are you, who are you in uh, a league with? I'm in a, a league with. There's some people who are editors, um, some other uh, some other um, um, kind of behind the camera guys. Okay, all right. Very good. Well, so are how are you doing? Are you in a fantasy league? Oh, I'm, I appreciate you asking, Vince. Uh, I am eight and two in one Very league nice. that I'm the sure. defending champion of. Very nice. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then seven and three in another league, which is good enough for first place in that one as well. That's so. great. Now, here's the question I have for you: mm-hmm. What happens? Does it not, is having two leagues not make it a complicated journey come Sunday? It does make it a very complicated journey. Is a great way to put it. Um, yes, it does, but it's a it's a great way to just hedge hedge a little bit, um, right. and you know give a little bit of something extra um, because I'm being an NFL employee. That's that's the only sort of the, what's the word that could be action that one can get if Understood. that makes if that makes any Understood. sense, Mister Tish. It Mr. gives you it gives you a little bit gives you two bites at the apple if you will. It does. It does, but so you're only a one fantasy guy, is what you're saying. I have one league. That's a lot. You know, I got two young kids, so it's, uh, <laughs> that's a hard enough excuse to come up with, right? When, uh, yes, you can only say you're doing emails so many times until someone walks behind you and sees that you're on the same board, looking at the exact same information for another extra forty minutes. Oh so uh, man, and a what, difficult time. What is your team name? What's the fantasy team name? You know, I named my team the Maslin Tigers, okay. going back to the Ohio, to the old, to the Ohio high school football team. Sure. That, that's I right near the, born there in Maslin. That's right near the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's right. It's them and uh, what is it, Cat McKinley with the big rivalry. Dude, that's old school, Vince. That is that old, is old school. school. So uh, I appreciate you again joining me uh, on the show. It's just oh, been I've a blast. I've always been a big fan. Always enjoy oh, wow. listening to you, and uh, you. glad I got a chance to to come on. Appreciate it, Vince. I look forward to the next time, and hopefully in person. And I look forward to seeing Delivery Man coming out uh, next week. Sounds good. Good luck down to close. I like your record now, but let's not get content. You got some more football ahead of you. I'm focused. My guys are focused. I'm just taking it one game at a time and hoping for the best. No um, Dave and Buster's before the after the bye week. <laughs> that, by the way, that that would be a rookie mistake. And I've got too much veteran in me. You know that. I like it. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate it. Be good, bud. You bet. That's Vince Vaughn on the Rich Eisen podcast. I love Vince Vaughn, man. What a regular guy. How fun was that conversation how far does it, it takes you back to i mean i just remember seeing swingers and th- oh, them please. fighting over the nhl on sega <laughs> Gret- so many i'm gonna make gletsky breed i'm gonna make them bleed but the wedding crashers he's been in so many good movies my wife and i laugh uh have you guys seen the movie the breakup obviously of with, course. yeah there's a scene in there where they it, that movie hits home like if you're if you're dating someone because it, it's a kind of a depressing movie for dating but right. there's a scene where uh, she's like, I want you to want to do the dishes. And he's like, why would I want to want to do the dishes? And it, it just for every guy, I think that, that pretty much hits home, but it also hits home for every girl, too. He's awesome. Yeah, Vince Vaughn, the deliver, uh, go see Delivery Man on um, the 22nd of November. We have a lot of housekeeping to do, too. A lot. We missed on a – we hardly talked about a lot of games, but we're going we're gonna to talk about some teams, I guess, moving forward with our picks. Yeah. 
before we, we do that, though, bef- before we do that, should we pick? Should we do our picks Friday? Let's do our let's do our Thursday night pick. Well, now? You, is anybody taking the Falcons? Absolutely no. not. Yeah, All right, okay. so we'll do, our, do picks, our picks. We'll Friday. Do our picks Friday. Yeah, I like that. Okay, a little closer. Good, good okay. plan. Okay, you just shaved off a good like, 20 minutes on the podcast. <laughs> 15 minutes. So then here's the housekeeping. We're... Housekeeping. Albert Breer, who is, takes a lot of grief in these parts because sure of his does. whole Ohio State homerism. Well, he deserves Maybe it. we should get on our great. Friday podcast to get the CEO of Twitter to cut Albert's access to Twitter on college that, football Saturdays. The blue check mark out the window. He's got to be able to. They, they have to have the power to do that, right? Like censor Albert censor only on Saturdays? No, that, that he's off, that he that he's not allowed to access his account. Oh, so completely blocked. <laughs> Block him out. That wow. Twitter blocks him. On Saturdays. On yes. Michigan, Ohio State. No, no, no. Saturdays. By the way, did you see his tweet? Saturdays. His, his last tweet where it was just win, 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 and it was all the wins in a row that he just did win each time they've won. Like a child. Thing. Like a child. But the man, the man is a, a child <laughs> when it comes to Twitter and... Um, Ohio and Ohio State and college football in general, but he is—he's—he's he's as good as anybody in in this profession. But he's a damn good reporter. Yeah. Reporter yep. writing, and at the top of this podcast, we talked about asking the right questions and how to ask them. What he did with Steve Smith after the game on Monday Night Football is one of those instances where you get the right subject for your interview, and you ask that subject the right question and you get the answer that everybody's talking about you have it you have it Chris? i got it yeah he starts off with the, the big catches down the stretch and go for it you want it here steve smith who went at it with a keep to leave or vice versa on monday night football go for it well steve what's happening in the huddle on that last drive hey we're just preparing they look like they were hoping to win hoping to make a play we knew we were gonna make a play uh cam did a great job what you're seeing right now is watching uh, a young, great quarterback develop and becoming that, and uh, Carolina Panthers came out with a win. What happened on the touchdown? Uh, poor tackling. <laughs> what happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. you going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. <laughs> Simple questions. Now, you might sit there and go, well, what's so tough about that? We heard at the top of the show. People can't do it. What happened on the play at the end of the game, what happened on the touchdown? What happened with you and Talib out on the field? Ice up, son. Ice up. I love Steve Smith, man. I freaking love that guy. Why don't you ask him? He didn't finish the, the game. game. Ice up, son. Ice up. And and how in the world, if you're a keep Talib, do you do that? How do you go in the face of Steve Smith when you know that is the last thing you should do but these guys have it's like a very long history together. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter then he should know then he should know it's probably why he did it what are you trying to get steve smith off his game can anybody do that has it ever been proven once that you can with post whistle woofing get steve smith off his game or wait a minute has it been proven that you put him on a different level you wind him up It's sort of like, again, another difficult analogy here, but I hope it's not any offense taken. I know when my five-year-old is trying to push my buttons at the dinner table. (laughs) I've seen that, Rich. (laughs) I know what he's trying to do, and sometimes I fall for it. And you know what Susie says to me? Just don't pay attention. Ignore him, ignore him, ignore him, ignore him. Don't pay attention. 
<laughs> That's what you have to do when you're covering Steve Smith. Tlaib must not have children. Maybe he does. Ice up, son. Ice up. Ice up, son. <laughs> Dude. That's saved. That's going to be an all-time. We'll be using that Dude, quite often. that is an all-timer. That's a great hashtag. And I knew it because Breer was absolutely bitching on Twitter at U.S. Airways on Tuesday morning. Oh, was he? Oh, yes. Does anyone complain more about airlines? But apparently he showed up to the airport for whatever reason late, but still got through security in time to get to the gate as they're boarding, and they gave his seat away. That guy flies more than anyone. I have status on airlines. He's flying all the time. How is this guy not express? All I know is he just flipped out on Twitter (laughs) and sent out pictures of him at the gate gotta, with people still boarding. I gotta look at this. And he's basically said this is the worst he's ever been treated by U.S. Airways or whatever. So, and he went on about how maybe in 2010 we had a worse time. So I cut down the, his tweet of saying <laughs> his tweet. I'll, I, I gotta repeat it because it was too good. Oh yeah, here we go. There's He's got pictures of people in line. Oh yeah, Gave man. Fell another spot in the standby list. Appreciate the way you treat people, U.S. Airways. Yep. So he wrote, so I retweeted, he wrote, he tweeted out, I can't imagine having a worse 36-hour experience than I'm having with at U.S. Airways. So I retweeted that with the comment of, ice up, son. <laughs> How about this? This is almost, too good, man. This is almost as bad as the time U.S. Airways stranded me overnight in Charlotte, then refused to get me a hotel room. There's already ice up, son t-shirts, Yeah. by the way. Albert tweeted that out. Dude. Wow. I hope Steve Smith trademarks that and so he can get his proper due. Isn't that great? that's hilarious. Man, so, oh, man. Ice week up, up, son. You never know what's going to happen in this week-to-week league. And then there's the tweet I saw on uh, Tuesday morning um, <laughs> at Chris Law, Brockman. Uh-oh. Uh, let me take a look here. That, burst, that first burst of ice-cold water that comes out of the shower and smacks you in the face is just awful. I retweeted that with a comment of turn hot water on. <laughs> Wait, you do we don't, need the latex? Do we need to Wait, teach you how to shower? Like, like you I'm just putting Cooper, my middle child, into a big boy bed. At some point, I'm going to have to teach him how to shower. You Would don't it, like let the water get warm first and then walk in, dude. You, uh, so we have a I have a setup where it's like Kramer. Sink. That's like the way Kramer showers, right? Just like whoosh. Yeah, yeah and it hits it, you in the face. It, it is kind of like that. Our sink is we have a glass sliding door. Yes, and. On the one side, you have to get all the way in the shower to turn it on and then get out back out, and you can just let it run without. What? You can't reach. How? You can't reach on the one side because the way the sink is set up. So it's a bit of a, of a, of a pain. Look, one, one. So you have to, every time you shower, go in and take your medicine. Take, take the medicine, yeah. Well, I turn the, so it comes out of the spigot first, and it'll be, it'll be there, and then I'll turn it on slowly. Because so, no matter what, there's always some residual There's always some residual. Why can't you, let, why residual can't you let the spigot get warm and then turn because the shower? No because what, still, there's, there's still, still residual there's still, in the pipes. There's still residual in the pipes. Uh, there's still residual. Jesus. So I try but and turn dude, it on dude, faintly. Dude, you've got to figure out a different system. I know. It's not, it's not the best. And uh, certainly don't tweet about it, because you know on Twitter <laughs> people are going to think you don't know how to shower. I mean, this is as, almost as bad as you tweeting out all your alarms. Oh, well, like, come on now. You know. It, it, All the meetings. I, I, I watch because we've been looking for a place. We're in that mode of maybe we'll buy, maybe we won't, we rent. So I watch way too much HGTV for what's good for any human being. But I just saw the other day they have like an electric starter, like a, a remote starter for showers, which is what I need to invest in. No, God. That is so sad. That is Does sad. something like that exist? Yeah, you can press a button and no, it'll man, start your shower. make anything now. I mean, take a look advance. at any sharper image catalog and they got anything. It's amazing. It looks like it's straight out of the Jetsons. Yeah. 
But yeah, I, I did what get else about, do we have here? Thanks to your tweet, Rich, I got about 60 responses in my inbox of, <laughs> of don't you know to turn the shower on first? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the word podcast uh, was uh, uttered on NBC, Sun, Sun Football Night in America, was it not? It was, was uttered it not? by uh, our pal DP. Why don't you set up how that all went down? Well, every Thursday I'm on Dan Patrick's show. Uh, to promote the Thursday night football game. And for the last six, seven weeks, he's given me a word to say on NFL Network's uh, Thursday night kickoff. It was just fun. This, it, that's so it fun. Just, would just, just to drop it. And I, I try to be as subtle as possible so you don't know that I'm dropping anything. Yeah, that's the key to it's it. It's good. It works. That's the key to it. It works. This week, though, he gave me 2149 <laughs> to say on the air. Now, I was waiting. I didn't know how you were going to do this. Well, so 2149 is the extension of of one of our – former bosses at SportsCenter. And so I said it on the air. Do we have both instances of we, me saying it? We have uh, we have Dan's saying it. Uh, no, do you have me saying 2149 yeah. at all? There's two instances of me saying it. You're going to play both of them? Yeah, sure. Because they're both. The first one I went for, it was at the very top of the show. I right. don't normally do it at the very top. At, at 6, 6 Eastern. Eastern. Right. But it was too easy with LaDainian Tomlinson sitting on one side of Mooch and Dion sitting on the other side, they're both 21s. They're ah. both two ones. And what is the coach that Steve Mariucci is known for the most? The team that is most known for. 49ers, yeah, wow. 4-9. Well, that was, that was right. too easy. 4-9. So when Mariucci brought up that he was sitting next to a 21, I jumped at it. Go for it. My name is Rich Eisen, humbly hosting this program here along with my Hall of Famer at the end of the set. That is Michael Irvin. Who's that is I. Here next to uh, a 2-1. We've got a 21 here on the set. Good to see you, LaDainian Tomlinson, here on Thursday night kickoff. Good evening, gentlemen. Steve Mariucci, my coach, right there in the middle. Good to see you. In the middle of these 21s. You are. There's two ones, and uh, you're the coach of the 49ers right there in the middle. Sort of a 2-1-4-9 situation right there. Okay. And Deion Sanders, good to see you, sir. Good, <laughs> good to see you. Humble host. You bet. See, there you go. Perfect. There you go. But then I knew I dropped it at, at a time right off the top, and I didn't want my Twitter feed to be blown up with all of these crazy-ass DP show. Well, Dan, t- well, Dan wants I, you to always do it in the you know, pre-kick that, what, show, right? He's always well, like, well, he's always trying to tell me. I just three minutes to kick off. Right. He wants, he wants I, the I, I try to do it in the, in the highest-rated sh- part of the show because right. the, the, what is I report? Yeah, <laughs> these like people that, are nuts, I man. Team. These the people are crazy. These yeah. I-team, they're nuts. And Pabst, you know, winds them up. <laughs> he winds them all up. So I did it again. And this one I thought was really smooth. This one I thought was really smooth. This is the pre-kick. They run the ball 30 or more times with Trent Richardson, and they win the game. Yeah, unfortunately for Richardson, it's been runs of two, one, four. Nine would be nice. Nine would be nice. There's no question about that. Let's get a report on both teams here tonight from Stacy Dale. Stacy. Nice. There you go. Very nice. Yeah. Two, one, four, nine would be nice. Even though I'm going off in a different direction, <laughs> punk with a punctuation mark. I still said the numbers in succession. Bring it all back. I couldn't say two, one, four, and nine. That's no, not what I was told to say. Can't do it. When when uh, when I was watching you on on the show, when when he said because I think he threw a few things out for you to say. And you were like, no, no, no. Because yeah, he, want, like, he wanted I, you to say, like, booyah. Come on, he can't stuff. make yeah. a mockery. I mean, it's not right. like fifth grade and stuff then here. He right? goes, I mean, there's, one, I still, there's, there's still some respect, which is what, when he started saying that to me, it harkened me back to the conversation I had with Susie the other day. She's like, why, why isn't Dan doing stuff for you on, on NBC? Two-way street. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Yep. 
So I told Dan the other. I'm like, "Where's where's the love coming from here?" <laughs> so I gave him the word podcast to drop. <laughs> And you gave him the setup, too. You gave him Well, because he's setup. just like, how do I do that? And I told him how to do it. And then he did it word for word, didn't he? He did. He, he did it pretty much. Oh, well. my Lord. Wait a minute. I mean, wait a minute. Is that another meeting? Oh, Look, that's not meetings. a meeting. That no, that's a meeting. That's a reminder. <laughs> reminder. A reminder to uh, turn the shower on. <laughs> that's a reminder to buy a, a shower remote. Look. You latex. All right. He, you latex here's, hillbilly. <laughs> here's Dan on, uh, this is about, Sunday this night. is him with Tony and Rodney okay. and, the, and the guys here. Lions were in Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers looking to avoid a 3-7 and seven start. Worst start of Ben's 10-year career. Worst uniforms, too. Well, this will help Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown. 7-0 Pittsburgh. Here it comes. 17-3 Pittsburgh. You don't have to have a blog or a podcast to know. Single coverage <laughs> on Calvin Johnson is not going to work. Uh, Bravo. Nice. Bravo. Well done, Dan. I tried to find the technicality in that because he was covered with B-roll, but it was good enough. Oh, no, no. B-roll doesn't – it's oh, got to be said. I thought it was on no, camera. No, I mean, on camera is obviously, you know, next, next level, level stuff. Yeah. And I'll that point that out to Dan. You know, I mean, I don't do it under B-roll. <laughs> That's not true. I've done it going to break and stuff like that. Times. No, listen, Bobby, you can't – you can't – it, it, there are no pictures when you worked, on, the, on the standings. When you worked smorgasbord and side bottom into the draft coverage, I, I knew that you, know, level. you have no problem getting any of this stuff in. My favorite was Captain Obvious a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you don't need to be <laughs> Captain Obvious. Right. Uh, okay, that's it, right? We're done? Yeah. What, we got some other guests coming up again yeah. Friday this week, the CEO of Twitter for crying out loud. I want to break business news. Let's do it. I want to break business news on this podcast. I want to wind up in the in in the business sections. CNBC. I might just come in through the front door with him. I'm going to take my own advice, like Belichick. I'm just going to come in through the front door and tell Dick that I want to break business news, <laughs> and and it's up to him to provide me with the business news because I'm too I'm too stuck in the sports pages to know the right question to ask him. Are you going to do research? What oh, questions? Yeah. Maybe I'm you definitely could do research. Of course. Uh, good idea, though, for the fans, though, since it's Twitter. Yes, tweet us Sh- questions. Tweet us questions at the Eisen Podcast yep. or at any of us, and with the know, hashtag of uh, Ask Dick. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do I have to bleep that? No. no. Okay. No, I think we should keep that. Yeah, the hashtag Ask Dick. I yeah, like. yeah, definitely. Tweet us it, and we'll get a few of them in for sure. For sure. What is the matter with you? I don't know. A lot, Rich. A lot. I mean, you should have seen him play basketball last night, Rich. Oh, the only question. The final that, eight points of the game. Uh, guys, the only the only thing that needs to be truly hashed out is which question, Chris, are you going to ask him to offend him before he leaves? Because <laughs> you've really got it. You've really you've really got a reputation. Rich, to I uphold. have a reputation to uphold, and and fans want to know how you're going to personally. Uh, turn this into an affront. I didn't offend Jerry Rice last time he was here. No, but we can make it seem like it did. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Ice up, son. Ice up. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be coming in. International shout-out on Friday, Rich. Okay, we'll do that international shout-out on Friday. And um, other guests, I can't believe we whiffed on this because we were so excited to have Vince Vaughn on. I want to thank him and, uh, and all his, his team. For, for helping him out. Thank Mark Dalton and Stacy Garcia for... Yeah, and Mark, Mark and the Cardinals sent that uh, that hat. Yes, so. the Gatsby hat. Thank them for, for Bruce Arians coming on. Um, and thank Joe Brown as well. Uh, we were so excited about the Vince Vaughn. We have another Vince coming in. Yes, we do. Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, in studio, um, second week of December. Yes, it is. 
part TBD of when we post that right but. part of the guests that we have coming on this show. And that's because you tracked him down at the airport. I did, I did. I saw him as we were heading out to Tampa for that Carolina Tampa game. I yeah. went up to him and I totally fanboyed him. He doesn't know much about football, but I told him it, do- it doesn't matter. We're not going to talk football with you. No. So many questions. Could you imagine? He says he he, he says he's going to give us the time too. Good. Yeah. So that's still to come here on the Rich Eisen podcast for at Chris Law. At Chris Brockman, I'm at Rich Eisen saying peace out from at the Eisen podcast. I up, son. I up. Hello, me Cookie Monster. Yeah, me always listen to the Rich Eisen podcast. It's my favorite podcast. Yeah, me listen on NFL.com. Oh, and it's also on iTunes, just in case you not know that. Oh, me going to go listen right now. And for all of us here at the Medill School of Journalism, thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. Stay listening, dear friends.